What's up and welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 148, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I am a certified G and a bona fide stud, and you can't teach that. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller, and he's seven feet tall, and you can't teach that. Frank, how you doing? I'm doing good. We're in for a good show. We got a good show planned for the fellas today. I'm excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very pumped. Um, bear down. Bear down, Thomas Gage. Um, what a disaster pile that conversation is on Twitter.com, but we're not going to go there right now. We're not going there right now. I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. We're talking some hawk. Frank, how you doing, though, man? Doing good. Happy Super Week. That's one of the biggest weekends of the year. Very, very excited. I I don't know if I enjoy any other weekend more, if I'm being honest. It's tough to get it out of the way, though, in the first quarter of the year. But yeah. Like, yeah, nothing to look forward to, right? Yeah, I think as a sports fan, though, the way my brain works, the calendar year just recently reset. But to me, the sports year resets in August. Sure. Like, Yeah, it like, makes sense. I kind of view my year like it starts in September. Like, as like, a sports fan, my year starts in September. Like, your year is almost over as a sports fan. Getting getting down to the stretch run. Like, yeah. base, baseball is the only one kind of, like, that doesn't really abide by that. Like, the but the end, it's just weird how my brain works. The end of the baseball season, the beginning of the sports calendar. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And like March Madness, the Super Bowl, spring training, the Stanley Cup playoffs slash final are all part of the latter stages of the um, sports calendar. The NHL draft, free agency, the all-star game in Major League Baseball, those are all kind of like the end of my sports calendar. That's just kind of the way my dumb, stupid brain works. But I think people might actually understand what I mean in a weird way. I understand what you mean in a weird way. Just everything, three of the four leagues start up in the fall. But then baseball overlaps. That's why Fridays are, that's why October is the best month of the year. So does the technically never end your sports calendar? No, it's always kind of flowing. But like, I don't know, just the beginning of it is when the meat and potatoes of everything starts. Every team is a champion in August, Thomas Gage said. It makes sense to him. I honestly think. I honestly think, though, my White Sox fandom last August took a real hit. Like, last last August was for the White Sox was one of my least favorite. It's probably my least favorite months for any of my sports teams ever. That's tough. I mean, someone was hit by a bullet. There were rumors of them going to Nashville. They got walked off by the Cubs after (laughs) winning the entire game three to one. I mean, it was just uh, Anderson got in a fight with Jose Ramirez and got his absolute face caved in. I mean, it was just one of the literal worst months of any fandom for any of my favorite teams. August of 2023 for the Chicago White Sox. Horrible. Yeah, it doesn't sound too good. It's not fun, Frank. Not fun. Uh. But we're not talking about baseball right now. We're actually talking about the show. Number one sport on this show. The great game of Hawk in period number one. Frank, we got a lot to talk about. 
in terms of hockey because we're kind of cramming it all into period number one, considering this is our super week show. Yeah, um, lot, 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 lot to talk about. Lot, lot, lot to talk about. Um, but one thing I didn't write down because when I sent you the sheet, it hadn't happened yet. So we'll just get some quick on it. Frank, the Edmonton Oilers had their 16 game winning streak canceled yesterday by the Vegas Golden Knights. First game for both teams post all-star break. The Golden Knights, the defending Stanley Cup champions, they got wild bill back. He scored an empty net goal. The team's looking good. Once they get Eichel back, I legitimately think they could make another deep playoff run. I'm not saying they will or they should, but they're good enough to, as we saw last year. Aiden Hill was absolutely spectacular. They overcame a Connor McDavid shorthanded goal early in the contest. Leon Dreisaitl and McDavid giving them an odd man rush the other way shorthanded. Not the best of strategies. We'll see how it works out for you there. It worked out poorly for Vegas yesterday, but they ended up coming all the way back and getting the dub. Oilers came one win shy of the Pittsburgh Penguins 1993 all-time record of 17 straight wins. Um, what are your thoughts on this Oilers team, the streak, and it ending? Well, I mean, I watched the whole game in full yesterday, to be honest with you, as I was working oh, yeah. on the sheet. I couldn't be more happier than the streak ended. I didn't want them to get 17 against the Knights. Like, one of my teams, like, hell no. I'm glad it ended. Um, it's funny because if it wouldn't have ended, the seventh or the 18th game, the record breaking game would have been broadcasted on ESPN two against the Anaheim ducks. Honestly, we could say that the break was a momentum stopper for the Oilers, but the Oilers looked great. They didn't look bad at all. Aiden Hill stood on his head. There was no, there was no faults to the Edmonton Oilers in this game. Aiden Hill was doing everything in his power to win this game. And no matter what they did, you could add Gretzky Crosby, McDavid all out there on their prime, and they were not winning this game just because of how well the Vegas Golden Knights played. And honestly, when it was going to the third period tied one-to-one, -one, I said, this game is all Edmonton's the way they've been buzzing, unless like Vegas could get a, a greasy, squeaky goal. And even at the end of the game when they were up two-to-one, did you see the play that Wild Bill tried to make on the empty net? And I forgot who was defending on Edmonton. Like They wanted to win that game so bad, they played great, but they just that's sports. You could be the better team out there on the ice, but you're not going to win every game. And that's why it's hard to go on a streak such as the Edmonton Oilers did. But I'm glad it ended. I wanted it to end. I didn't want to wanted it to get out of control. I wanted the Hawks to end it when um when they played the Oilers back when it was on like a 10 or 11 win streak, but nonetheless, we don't got to worry about that anymore. Smooth sailing for here from here and they proved why they're the defending Stanley Cup champions. Absolutely. You know, I couldn't you couldn't have said it better myself. I I I'm partial. I like the Oilers. You know me with my oil. I'm all the way back on the wagon. I said they were done back in October. I was wrong. I'm happily wrong. I love the oil. I'm rooting them on. Um, I, where I would rank them on my favorite teams right now, I don't even know. Maybe tied for fourth. I, I don't know. I have a bunch of – But if it's, it's the Devils, you want the Devils to end that streak. If, they if play the Devils started that streak, so don't even get me started. But if that game yesterday was against the Devils, you'd want them to end it so bad. Oh, yeah, of course. And I want the Devils to beat everybody. My second, third, fourth, fifth favorite teams, they all rotate year over year based on storylines, favorite players. You know, five years ago, I was all in on the Minnesota Wild. I didn't miss a game. Now, when they if they were to play the Avalanche, where Zach Parisi currently is, I would root for the Avalanche to win 10 nothing. So, you know, other than the New Jersey Devils, my num that's my favorite team. That's my team. 
Everybody knows that. It's mm-hmm. nobody ever questions it. I don't think if you do, you're dumb. But you know, I root for the Bruins for Joey. I root for the Blackhawks. I'm from Chicago, and for you and Bedard, awesome. Uh, I like the Maple Leafs. I like the Penguins because of Sid. Um, you know, the Oilers for the last two years. Last year, I really kind of started on my oil wagon. This year, I've been all in on the Canucks. Haven't missed too many Canucks games. You know, I you know, so the Oilers are one of those teams for me. But seeing the streak end, I think was good for them in the long run. Because now it's not about the win streak anymore. The win streak helped propel them safely into a playoff spot. I don't think anybody thinks they're not going to make the postseason at this point in time. Uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl are buzzing. We're starting to see that Ryan Nugent Hopkins, he's not going to have 100 points as he did last year. But, you know, we're starting to see that version of him kind of come out of his shell a little bit this year. I loved what I've seen from, you know, guys like Bouchard, just an incredible clapper on the power play, unreal player. Um, the goaltending from Stu Skinner has been real good lately. Um, I just like everything about that team. They get good production. They're, they added Corey Perry to the mix for some veteran leadership. They have Evander Kane. Um, we'll see what they do at the deadline. But now that the streak's over. It's not about a streak anymore. It's about just consistently playing well going into the playoffs. I certainly think they could be a team that ends up winning the Stanley Cup. They are one of my 10. They got to get over that hump. They got to get over that hump. You know what? And Stuart Skinner's got to play like he has been in the playoffs. That was their downfall last year. That was their downfall last year. You know what? I think if you were to take a team like Edmonton and a team like Carolina and fuse them together, you'd have the Stanley Cup champion. Because what kept Vegas what kept Vegas from getting over the hump for all those years? In my opinion, it was not having like that number one center game breaker type guy. And they trade for Eichel. All of a sudden, Eichel, he didn't win the Conn Smythe trophy. You can argue he deserved it. You could absolutely go back, look at the numbers. It was between him, Marsha Salt ended up winning it. You could argue that Aiden Hill, the goalie, could have won it. I think Stone was in the mix, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, all sorts of different players could have won it. They ended up opting to give it to one of the misfits, which I think was very fair and reasonable. But you know, you trade for Eichel, all of a sudden you insert that kind of superstar center onto them. Well, the Oilers have two of those. You know, they're not missing the game breaker. I think it's more of like just kind of the depth and like the goaltending. If you can get that in the playoffs like we've seen, um, I think they could go on a run. They've been eliminated the last two years by the eventual cup winner. You know, if they get through Colorado two years ago, who knows what happens? If they get through Vegas last year, who knows what happens? I would probably say Edmonton gained both of those teams the biggest run for their money. And do you know why it's so hard and why goalies just fall off in the playoffs compared to like the regular season? And people are like, why? If you're this good during the regular season, you're still playing hockey in the playoffs. So why is it so different? Well, first of all, you're playing this team over and over again every other day in a seven game series. So after a game or two, you know, the coaching insights tell you how to get in the goalie's head, how to beat the goalies, and you start to learn it. That's why it's so hard in sports just to beat teams back-to-back, even when you play them, like, more than once a season, spread out. But when you're in the playoffs playing them in a seven-game series back-to-back, you learn their knickknacks, right? Like, uh, who Toronto learned how to get through to Vasilevsky last year in the playoffs. After a few games, they knew by shooting it from the point or whatever, or how to get in front of the net to screen them, they knew how to beat them. And that's why it's so hard come the postseason. Yeah, I and couldn't S- agree more. Skinner's got Skinner's got to learn that. He's got to learn to be better in the playoffs. Absolutely. And as as that old check would say, you go to school on it and you know you figure things out. Um speaking of Canadian teams, Frank, 
Uh, there were two Canadian teams that made trades with other Canadian teams right before the All-Star break. The first one, the Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames. The Calgary Flames added Kuzmenko, a first-round pick, a couple nice prospects, all to send Elias Lindholm to the Vancouver Canucks. Um, this is the second year in a row that Vancouver traded somebody involved in the All-Star game either to themselves or away from themselves. You might remember last year. They traded Bo Horvat, their all-star, to the New York Islanders right before the All-Star game, and he ended up representing uh, – he was Vegas or Vancouver's representative, but he was an Islander. And, you know, this year they acquired somebody who was somebody else's representative, and he wore their sweater, and that's Elias Lindholm, of course. Um, I'm curious on your thoughts of the trade. Both guys scored yesterday, which is that's very funny. funny with their new teams. Um, I have a very strong opinion on this, but I'm sure I'm sure you do as well. I think we're going to agree here. Um, at first, when I heard the trade, I was a little shocked that they got a first and a fourth for Lindholm, only the, just because of the way he's been playing this year. It's been a down year for him. But at the end of the day, I really think Lindholm's going to excel on this Canucks team. Like The first-round draft pick is going to be high anyway, and I think adding Lindholm to this team will potentially make them an even deeper threat in the Pacific division. We all know what Lindholm's capable of that we've seen in the past. I think part of the reason why it's been such a down year um, is because anybody who plays with the flames, it just seems like their career tends to die out. I mean, just ask Jonathan Huberto. I mean, we see it firsthand and, you know, on the other hand, the flames get Andre Kuzmenko top notch prospect. He's been killing it this year. He's been great. I'd love to have Kuzmenko on the Hawks. He's fantastic. However, now that they made this move, the Flames need to decide what they're doing. If they don't go through a rebuild, Kuzmenko is just going to die with the rest of the team, just like every other superstar, superstar to play for the Flames. Kuzmenko just can't sit on this Flames team with their current roster that they have. Like, I think this showed their hand that there is indeed some sort of rebuild coming. It's very fair. I think the Flames fleece the Canucks. Now, I respect the Canucks for going all in. They could lose Pedersen in the off. Like, they're probably not going to, but they could. They have a lot of salary cap issues. There is no guarantee they're this good next year. Just There's just not. And so they're going all in on winning the Stanley Cup right now. They feel that they have a better chance to do that with Lindholm than Kuzmenko. I get it. There's a good chance that that's the case. I like the haul Calgary got for him, though. I agree. They were trading him anyway. I was stunned a first and a fourth. A first and a fourth, two really good prospects that like people remember Byron Bader, who we had on this show a while ago. Yeah. He he has hockey prospecting. That's his website. Yeah. And he like yeah. his model is like based on projecting whether or not you're going to be a star or whether you're a star or not. Um, he loved the trade for Calgary. And I'm pretty sure he's a Flames fan, but he's very unbiased. I'm, I've seen him shit on the Flames, too. Um, getting a first and Kuzmenko. Along Kuzmenko's with these prospects, Kuzmenko has like two less points than Lindholm this season. Lindholm's having a bad year. I do think it's because he was playing on the Flames, though, because they that, stink. That could be. That could be. I just, I don't know if they get that much of an excuse for like, oh, they're on the Flames. Because like, like Sharon Govich, and I'm not saying you're wrong. The guys have gone to Calgary and started to stink, but I'm trying to figure out why. They the traded. Toffoli had 30-something goals last year. They traded him to the Devils. He's on pace to reach 30 again. He's got 21 already. Like, he'll blow past he, – he was out with an illness yesterday. I'm, I think it's, like, a legitimate, like, he's sick. So he'll be back their next game. Um, it's not a real, like, bodily injury. Um, 
he's going to blow past 30 again. So it's not the team that Toffoli's on. He could score 30 with Calgary. He could score 30 with the Kings. He could score 30 with the Devils. Sharon Govich, though, traded for Toffoli. He goes there, and he's going to blow past 30 goals. So, like, why is Huberto sucking so much? Why did Lindholm have a down year? But why is Sharon Govich able to just pop off? I, I don't get it. Um, Calgary was an offensive force even just a couple years ago. You might remember when Giordano won the Norris Trophy. Like, that was awesome. Um, Dougie Hamilton has had some big years playing there before he made his way to Carolina and then eventually the Devils. Um, I just, I like this trade for Calgary. I hope they do kind of like retool on this thing, even if it's not a full-fledged rebuild. You know, they kind of do like what the Kings did in a way. Um, I think they could get back into contention in a couple years this is a good deal for them. Keep developing those prospects. Dylan Dubé, he's going to be gone. So that's some salary cap relief from the whole thing with Hockey Canada. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the other prospect, though, the one that's having a real good year for them, though. Um, I have no clue. Oh, my God. Zary, Connor Zary. He's been absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, they, they've done a good job developing some of these guys lately. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of move forward. But I like this trade for Calgary. And I like it for Vancouver, too. The Canucks, they, he, he scored two goals last night. He clearly fits in well there already. They're going to be deep down the middle. They have one of the best things going in the league right now. Like They have superstars up front with Pedersen and Bessers having an unreal year. JT Miller's one of the best players in the league right now, to be honest with you. Um, on the back end, Quinn Hughes going to probably he'll blow past 90 points we'll see if he could get 100 um i do think it's funny it's february 7th last year eric carlson was the first defenseman in 30 years to have 100 points and this year we might have two and the nhl has never had two 100 point scoring defensemen in the same season so if quinn hughes and kale mccarr can do it this year they will make nhl history i'm rooting for it i hope they get as many and kale scored yesterday against the devils i hope he continues to just score the rest of the season the devils don't play him anymore um go what get 100 right now? they're in the 60s wow i okay. absolutely i absolutely think they can get it done uh, there's like 30 something games left. They each need like 35 something, whatever points. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but I think they can do it. I think they could do it. Let's go. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. It is, it is possible. Not a guarantee by any stretch, though. Well, let's kind of do the math a little bit. Let's see what they're on pace for because I'm actually you, you, curious. You need to go at least over point per game. Well, of course. I, for anyone to reach 100 points, they have to go point per game the rest of the way. Um, let's see. Stats. Stats, mix stats, mix stats. Okay, Quinn Hughes has 64. Kale has 60. Um, so, and the Avalanche have played 51 games, and the Canucks have played 50. Oh, Quinn, Quinn's so going to do it. Kale needs 40 points in 31 games. Yeah, I say he does it. I'm being dead ass. I really do. I, I really do. Know. 60 divided by... I don't think so, man. I think they're going to come up short. Times 82. Kale's on pace for 96. And 90 or 65. Wait, what did I say? 64 divided by 50 times 82. Kale's or Quinn's on pace for 104. I think uh, Makar's going to come up short. Interesting. I hope they both get it. 
Let's go, guys. Let's go. Um, two other Canadian teams made trades as well. The Jets and the Habs. The Montreal Canadiens traded Sean Monahan to the Winnipeg Jets for a first-round pick. Um, good trade. Good trade. Well, let's see your opinion first because yeah, I'm no, curious. I, I like the trade. Uh, the Jets saw the trade the Canucks made, and they said, oh, yeah, we can make moves too. Another great trade here, in my opinion. They only had to get up give up a first this year, which is going to be another low first round pick and a third in 2027. We don't know how long this jets team has to win a cup with this core theme. Things seem shaky this off season with all the unanswered questions on who is going to return and who is going to leave. And this jets team has been fantastic and they wanted to add a little bit of depth before the trade deadline approaches on March 8th. And they did just that. The jets have been slumping a bit lately. So, I mean, that could have played into this type of move. Maybe this will spark some better offense. And I also don't think that this Jets team's done making any moves before the trade deadline as well. I expect them to add at least one more depth player to this core before the playoffs begin. We talk about the Jets a lot. I, I talk about them with mad respect because we thought they were toast. We thought they were the next Calgary. Are they going to yeah. commit to a rebuild? No, they just signed Hellebuck and Shifley. Like, yeah, those contracts are probably going to look like a disaster in four years. They really are. But they don't care about four years from now. They care about right now because they haven't won the Stanley Cup yet. They believe they have the core that can with, and you know, you look at the fact that they extended those two guys. Well, Hellebuck's going to win the Vezina. I really think he'd have to fall off a cliff and have a disaster of a second half to not mm -hmm. win the Vezina. The only one who's like even in the same stratosphere right now is Jeremy Swayman of the Boston Bruins. Um, I really don't think anybody else, like I'm trying to think, I don't think anybody else is even like, like remotely in the mix. Soros is, he's having a good year, but he's not having that elite Soros type year. Same thing with Sorokin and Vasilevsky or Vasilevsky too. And Chesterkin. You can argue, you can argue the Rangers should start Jonathan quick and game one of the playoffs with the It'll way be he's been playing. It'll be Hellebuck. I think Hellebuck's going to win, and Shifley leads them in scoring. Now, Shifley probably leads them in scoring because of Kyle Connor's injury, but even if he's your second-leading scorer, I mean, that's a guy, you pay your second-leading scorer $8 million in today's NHL. That's just how it works. And, you know, they have Ehlers and some of these good young defensemen and Cole Perfetti and, you know, all these guys who are just real good. Morris, he's awesome on the back end. You know, I love what the Jets are doing. They know, they know that they have a good chance of drafting Connor Bedard's cousin in the 2027 NHL draft or 2026 NHL draft. I'm um, drawing a blank on his name right now. He's he was granted generational status. He's allowed wow. to play. He's allowed to play in the CHL. Uh, our generational status. I I worded that wrong. It's called exceptional status. And when you're granted exceptional status by Hockey Canada, you are allowed to play in the CHL as a 16 year old. And he's like 12th in league scoring at 16 years old. Better than Bedard? Um, I don't know about better than Bedard, but when the 2026 NHL draft comes around, we might be talking about him as like maybe a tick below Bedard, but a tick above Celebrini. And I think wow. the, I think Celebrini is a superstar. I watched him play the other night, a full ass game, and he scored two goals in the first period. I'll talk about him in a minute because we are going to get to that. But, you know. The Jets could be in the mix for a guy like that in three years, but for right now, they're not. They made the trade. They know what's coming in the future, um, and but they're going for it right now, and I respect it. Now, and for the Haps, Kent Hughes, their GM, mm -hmm. masterclass, masterclass. They took a first-round pick from Calgary to get Sean Monahan off of their books. 
Calgary said, we don't want to pay him anymore. He's not worth his contract anymore. We'll give you a first-round pick to pay him for the rest of his contract. Montreal said, okay, we're probably going to suck anyway. You know, we're, we had the number one overall pick, Uri Slavkovsky. He's taking a little bit longer to develop. He scored yesterday, but he's been real good lately. I no longer – I know I was kind of starting to think the B word. I no longer think the B word. Super duper star, maybe not, but very good NHL player. Yes, 100% for Slavkovsky. I mean that. Wow. But um, they know they're not going to be that good when they make this trade. Okay. And then they flip Monaghan for another first. They got two first-round picks out of having Sean Monaghan. Just unreal asset management by Kent Hughes. That is, that's how winning teams are built, Yeah, honestly. And if they got some – I think they're too good to have some lottery luck this year, even though – Seeing Lane Hudson and Max Celebrini go from BU to the Habs would just be hockey, uh, just a delicious hockey meal. Um, yes, but I don't see that happening. I think the Habs are just a tad bit too good. But we'll see how they play if they trade off all these assets, though. You never know. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a good trade for both teams. I think both teams are eating with what they what they ordered. Hey, for the Jets, you had to make this move. Their window's closing to win a cup. Within the next couple of years, maybe even this year. Well, I mean, we don't even know how good they'll be next year. There were a lot of question marks coming into this year. Very well, the future of their organization is very uncertain. So they got to go for it. They got to go for it, and they're not done. I don't think. I agree. I'm not. I do think the Jets are going to be good next year because I think they're going to have a largely similar roster to the one that they have right now. And I'm not going to fall into that trap of the one I fell into last year, thinking they were going to suck this year. I think they're a couple years away from sucking. Um, Gavin McKenna is the cousin of Connor Bedard. Um, he's 16 years old. He is eligible for the 2026 NHL draft. Um, he he was born on December 20th, 2007. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. I'm old. Um, he plays for the – where's his junior team? His junior team's not lit. Oh, here they are. He plays for the Medicine Hat Tigers, which is in the WHL, which is the same league Bedard played, and Bedard played for the um, Regina Pats. So he plays in that league right now, and he has 22 goals, 47 assists for 69 points in a very nice 44 games played. That's crazy. Um, it's a freaking – and he's 16. When he's, when he's 17 – or when he's 18 – or 17 pushing 18 in his draft year, he's going to have close to 200 points in that league, and he's going to be – Going to be on the Hawks? <sighs> Cousins come together? Then you're no, rooting for the Hawks. I don't know. I think no. 50-50. 50-50. The, no, my only thing, this year opened my eyes to something. They suck. <laughs> They're bad. They are damn bad this year. And you see how bad they are with Bedard. That you're going to slowly but surely add. Um, but I think... I think you'd rather win Celebrini this year and have no chance at McKenna. Um, you know where I, Celebrini. you know where I could see McKenna playing. It would not shock me if he took over Flyers. for Sidney Crosby 
Evgeny Malkin and they're going to be that bad. Part of the next great Pens team. I one of my hot takes is the Penguins sneak in this year. Like they're at least going to be on the bubble the rest of the way. They're, they huge awesome win over the Jets yesterday. Quality win over a quality team. Um, but I yeah, in three years I think they're going to be that bad. Wow. Yeah, I do. Um, Frank, Alex Turcott finally scored. Speaking of Chicago, the Chicago native, one of the best Chicago prospects we've seen, you know, in a while, finally made his way up to the Kings after, you know, he had some up and down injuries, lackluster performances in the AHL recovering. Finally, he got it going in the A. He gets the call up, scores a big goal and has a big assist to help his mm-hmm. Kings team get a big win in the last game before the All-Star break. Um, I'm a big fan of Alex Turcott's game. I thought he would be I thought he'd hit the ground running a little bit more in the NHL, but you know, hopefully this finally gets him in his groove and he becomes a contributing NHL player. Like Slavkovsky. I think Slavkovsky's better. But is he gonna be a superstar? I don't really know about that anymore, but do I think he can be a contributing NHL player? Is his floor like a Christopher Steak type player? Yes, I absolutely think so. With how bad the Kings have been as of late, Turcotte scoring was the glimmer of hope that they needed, something positive heading into the All-Star break. He scores his first NHL goal, and the team rallies behind them. They pick up a win before the break, and those wins have been something of rarity as of late. So hopefully that by Turcotte scoring, it allows the floodgates to be opened up a little bit. And he starts to score a bit more and help turn this King season around, which started out so great, which has gone so poorly lately. I have an interesting thought and I was curious on your thoughts on it. COVID hit the NHL in March of 2020, 2020. I feel like outside of Moritz Sider and to a lesser extent, Jack Hughes and to an even lesser extent, Lucas Raymond outside of those three guys and Dawson Mercer, Dawson Mercer's in that mix too. Almost every high end player from the 2019 and 2020 NHL drafts, they took a little bit longer to develop than we were expecting. And I do wonder if it's because they sat on their ass for six months. You know, some of these guys really took a long time to get going. We're finally seeing Lafreniere score some big goals. Do I think he's this generational? Because when we ranked the last 10 number one overall picks by their hype, not by their performance, by their hype, I went Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard, Alexis Lafreniere. He had more hype than Hughes. I put Mm -hmm. Hughes fourth. Lafreniere was supposed to be the next great power winger in the NHL. And he didn't become that right away. We're finally seeing him starting to get going. He scored a big overtime winner against the Colorado Avalanche on Monday night. Um, Quinton Byfield. He was looking like a bust. Would he even go top 10 in a redraft? Look at him this year. He's finally getting going. Um, we're seeing that all across Slavkovsky was two years later. That really, that one doesn't really count, but some of these guys, it's just, it's looking a lot less or it's looking a lot like a a late bloomer type draft class when speaking of 2019 and 2020. And it makes a lot of sense. It could be, it could be, but if you're that good or you're supposed to be a superstar, I feel like 
either way, eventually you'd come out of it. Right? Yeah. Well, they are. Well, Tarkat, I can't really say he's come out of it. No. Well, I hope he comes out of it. I don't it, like when guys drafted that high become nothing. I hate it. That's like, it's one thing if you're like in the second round and like you have hope and you don't make it, but you always kind of knew there was a chance. But like to be fifth overall and like people were gunning for you to go third. Um, I don't know. I, I watched Bowen Byram play his last two games though. I had my eyes locked in when Zach Parisi made his avalanche debut on Monday and then they played the Devils yesterday. So I've watched six straight periods of Avalanche hockey. Bowen Byram, so sweet. <laughs> he's freaking, and he's the fourth best defenseman on that team, <laughs> which, which probably stunted his ceiling in a way. Because like if he if the Hawks did draft him, would he be like playing with Vlasic on the top pair right now? Probably, but like he's not getting minutes over McCarr, Devin Taves, or Samuel Gerrard. Those guys, that's one of the best big threes in the NHL. If Byram's your four, woo! It's crazy. It's crazy. They're they're cooking over there. They are cooking. Um, Frank, let's touch the All Star game a little bit. Yep, a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun on Thursday. There was the draft and the PWHL three-on-three showcase. What were your thoughts from this little all-star Thursday? Well, it felt great for the draft to be back. I hope they keep the NHL draft or, yeah, the NHL draft when the all-star game returns in 2027. It was great to see the PWHL woman put on a great show in their 3v3 game. Congrats to Team King, who beat Team Claus 5-3. Big props also to Savannah Harmon, who had a hat trick and two assists in the game as well. She contributed on all five goals. The PWHL women loved it. The fans were into it. It was great to see the NHL use their platform to grow the women's game. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Forever, I had three favorite or four favorite. Like, I had a Mount Rushmore of my favorite female hockey professional players ever. Um, There was actually probably five. Uh, There's a bunch. I really loved Hillary Knight. Still do. She's on PWHL Boston. Um, Kendall Coyne Schofield. She worked for the Blackhawks. I think she still does have something mm-hmm. to do with Blackhawks player development. Um, she plays for PWHL Minnesota. Um, Amanda Kessel, largely she's Phil's sister. Like, and I don't. I'm not trying to sound like I only like her because of her male brother. That's not at all. But like, it was the Kessel family. Like, they were awesome. They were a big part of the hockey culture for a long time. You don't really hear from Amanda as much right now. Um, but there's also Marie Philippe Poulin who is on PWHL Montreal. She's the Wayne Gretzky of hockey in the women's game. I wholeheartedly believe that. She's the greatest female player. I watched that game. She's kind of in the back nine of her career. Um, that game, the showcase, she was the best player on either team. She has a brilliant – she could play in the NHL with her mind. I Her hockey brain is legitimately one of the best hockey brains I've ever seen. It's like it's Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, and Marie-Philippe Poulin when it comes to their brain, just straight their brain. The little one-touch little pass she made to Savannah Harmon on one of her goals was just absolutely incredible. I I was like, this girl's unbelievable. Um, Megan Duggan, she still works for the New Jersey Devils, so she'll always be one of my favorites. She was the coach of team – was she the coach of Team King? 
I think she was the coach of Team King. It was one of the two. She was one of the head coaches. She was one of the head coaches. And she doesn't play anymore. But, yeah, Megan Duggan, she was on that great team that won the gold we all remember in 2018. But this Savannah Harmon, I hadn't known much about her till this PWHL tournament. All the other ones I've watched many, many times. I hadn't heard of Savannah Harmon too much till this. And she scored a hat trick. I think it was a natural hat trick. Um, She's from Chicago. She plays for PWHL Ottawa. And I I was already kind of thinking like the Metropolitan team claimed themselves as New York. Eh. The Boston team, yeah. I, I I'm definitely identifying with them a little bit. Bergeron announced Hillary Knight as the captain. It was awesome. But Ottawa's jerseys. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy just to pick a team because of their jerseys. It's like oh, picking it's like picking your March Madness bracket based on what team has your favorite colors. Oh. But like Ottawa's jerseys are just so sick. They remind me of the Devils and they have they're they're just awesome. I want one. I literally want to buy one. And when I found out she plays for them, I was like, is Ottawa my favorite team till Chicago or New Jersey gets one? And then I was like, yeah, I think I'm a PWHL Ottawa guy. And um, I'm all in on that team. I hope they win the championship. But it was wow. so much fun to watch. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um it's good stuff. It, people need to watch women's hockey more. I truly, all those players are so good. Uh, whether it's Savannah Harmon scoring the hat trick or like I said about Marie Philippe Poulin's brain, um, some of the great plays that we've seen Hillary Knight make throughout the years. Um, it's been good stuff. Really, really enjoy it. You know who else I like that you never mentioned? Hmm. Sarah Nurse. Sarah Nurse. Yep. 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 What team, is Sarah Nurse two. on Toronto? I think she's on PWHL Toronto. I don't know. She's up there. She's one of my favorite women's players. Her and Hillary Knight are my top two. Ah, I thought you were going to say Kendall Coyne. No. Because she works. She kinda, with the... She's kind of annoying in my opinion, but. Why? I don't know. She just annoys me. It's just, that's just the way it is. Sarah Nurse is on Toronto. I just thought you'd like Hillary her. She works, she's Sarah on the Blackhawks. Yeah, but she's just, I don't know. There's just the vibe I get from her that I don't, she kind of annoys me a little bit. But Her brother was on the, or her husband was on the Bears for a minute too. But really? he really made it, he really made his money um, on the Chargers. That's where he was like mostly played his NFL career. Um, but yeah, really, really cool stuff. What about the skills competition? Connor McDavid designed it with in cahoots with the NHL. Helped the league determine that the winner should get a million dollars and then went out and won the million dollars himself. It's one of the most baller moves of all time. Um, but what was your takeaway from it? It was one of the most fun skills competitions of all time. The format was sick. I hope that when it returns, it is similar, if not the exact same format that it was. Made it competitive, unless your name was Nikita Kucherov. You saw players want to beat certain times and get the win. It was fantastic. It just made everything more enjoyable. It's like there was so much more to work towards. It's all for fun at the end of the day because a lot of these players don't need the million, like McDavid, but it just made it that much more enjoyable and competitive that you wanted to see what was going to happen next. I like the elimination-style format. I've always been a fan of that in anything. So good move, good move. Can I read you a funny stat? I just read that has absolutely nothing to do with the skills competition whatsoever. Sure. I actually, I opened X to see this breaking news that I'll touch on in a little bit. It's not like where I need to mention it right now. 
but I saw this tweet that said two months ago on December 6th, the Oilers sat 12 points back of the Canucks. After some stellar play and a 16-game win streak, they have closed the gap to 14 points. <laughs> they lost points on the Canucks through winning 16 games. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's why when the Hawks started 0-9-1, I told you that's they had a zero percent chance to make the playoffs. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh my god, it is hard to make up ground in the NHL. But yeah, I loved the skills competition. I really, really did. It it was the best one in years. The last two, they were like fun because like I understand they're for kids and they want to cater to the town that they're in. But from a t- television point of view, it just wasn't the same juice that it had had over the last handful of years before that. So it was really nice to see the league figure out a way to get the skills competition back on track. And it also taught me, you know, every year you see guys that like make a case for themselves as the best player or second best player in the world. And you're like, it just feels so chalked just every year. Who's the best player? McDavid, 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 McDavid. We're on like year eight of saying it. <laughs> and then just all the of a sudden you watch that skills competition and you're like, there is no better player of hockey in the world than Connor McDavid. It's funny because those types of players don't normally win all-star games or skills competitions and stuff like that. But the way this was designed, if you're good in like a few categories, you're probably going to have a good chance of winning it all. Like I had a feeling he was going to win fastest skater. That right there, you get five points. You're already ahead of the game. If you won outright a competition, you're already ahead of the game. You're a favorite to win the whole thing. And I think he won two, didn't he? He won four. He won four challenges that he was in. Yeah. What were the four? Uh, let me see if I can go back and find it. There was, it was four. Did he won accuracy? He won. Yeah, he won the accuracy. He won accuracy. Fastest, fastest skater. skater. He didn't win hardest slap shot. No, Kale McCarr did. Hold on. Four? Yeah. Yeah. Connor McDavid. Hold on. I'll find it. just it. doesn't seem right. I feel like I would have remembered four. That's crazy. I'm yeah. trying to think. He won the passing. Did he? Um. Let's see. I'm trying to find it because I saw it on Twitter, the list of them. Um, I think he won the passing. Yeah, he probably okay. He won shooting accuracy, stick handling, fastest skater, and an obstacle course. That's crazy. Well, William, no, but I meant for the first six. I'm saying the first six challenges. The obstacle course was the last one. Then he won three. Yeah, I'm talking about if you have if you win one of the first six, you have a pretty good chance of winning the whole thing. Yeah, and he won half of them. That's crazy. He won fastest skater, stick handling, and shooting accuracy. That's Elias crazy. Patterson won passing, and Kale McCarr won hardest shot. And then William Nylander won one-on-one, and Connor McDavid won the obstacle course. Wow. So he won four total events, three of the first initial six that you were referring to. See, and then it also made sense because in years previous – like McDavid would compete in like one or two competitions. Yeah. And that would be it. 
But this is like you're forced to compete in at least, or you have to compete in at least four. I think four max or four yeah. minimum. Like that was it. You 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 competed in four no matter what. Because this year they, this year they made it where an individual wins the skills competition rather right. than a team. Like right. Connor McDavid isn't just contributing to the Pacific Division, right? Which could send a bunch of bums to the All Star Game plus McDavid, and then it's like a Ferrari in a trailer park. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But what did you think of the game that followed the next day where you had the first game between Team Hughes and um, Team McKinnon? No. Matthews. It was Team Hughes versus Team Matthews. That was the second game. The first game was Team McKinnon versus Team McDavid. Oilers or Team McDavid came back down two goals, 30 seconds, just for fun. I mean, it's just like you expect stuff like that to happen in the three on three tournament, right? It was a nice comeback. They get the job done. They end up going on to place team Matthews. It just felt like team Matthews wasn't going to be stopped. I, I had a bad feeling for team Hughes. Um, it just seemed like their bracket would have been harder to win. If you beat team uh, Matthews, then you got to go against team McKinnon or team um, McDavid. And, I thought that Kucherov was still going to be like half drunk. So I thought he was going to bring the team down. He looked rearing and ready to go. I mean, he scored a goal, but yeah, it's kind of like poetic. It came down to team Matthews versus team McDavid, but I enjoyed the whole thing in general. Team Hughes would have won if they used Brat in the shootout. Um, No doubt about it. That was a mistake (laughs) on their end. Um, Game could have went either way. Um, It was cool to see Matthews and team Matthews win in Toronto. Um, I was kind of bu- starting to buy your theory that the divisions were or the teams were based on divisions because of the captains until I realized that they didn't even match up the division coaches with the division players. And I was like, no, Frankie's, right, yeah, they're Frankie's on stupid. Frankie's on crack. Um, they're definitely just the four best players in the league that speak pure English and they just made them the best captains. Um, you could see why they didn't make Kucherov a captain. I don't. I I would have no problem with them picking Pasta. That'd be sick. But you know, they did what they do. They picked Hughes, McKinnon, Matthews, McDavid. You can argue those are four of the seven best players in the league, and they're the best at being the face of the league, probably. Um, but yeah, when I saw Peter Laviolette coaching freaking McKinnon's team, I was like, all right, Frankie's theory shot dead. Um, but then then McKinnon picked. Kaprizov and his reasoning for picking Kaprizov was because he sees him a lot in the division and I was like oh Frank point <laughs> point point for Frankie's theory and then he picked a bunch of other guys from other divisions and I was like well, I didn't go. think that they were all going to be just players from the division no I thought the coaches would have at least matched up yeah they Let's only one coach like, only not? one coach matched up That's I stupid. believe I believe Tockett was the coach for McDavid I believe was he, That's though? Crazy. And also, with Jack Hughes leaving, because Hughes wasn't even there. He left after the skills competition. Um, with Jack Hughes not even there, two of the captains were from the Pacific Division. The Metro didn't have a true captain because Hughes was injured. But, right. you know, it is what it is. It was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it again. I thought, you know, three on three making it with the draft and the players picked the teams and you know why each guy's on what team. I thought it was cool. I did think it was cool. I wish next year, I hope they don't do the alternate captain thing though. I want to oh, see next year, 2027. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. 2027, we got two years off, which we will get to that in a minute. But, I mean, it'd be cool to see Matthews play with McDavid, right? Like, that. those are the types of things that I would find really, really fun. But, you know, it, it, it was good for what it was, good for Matthews on winning All-Star Game MVP. I had a lot of fun enjoying the All-Star break weekend. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Right before the All-Star Game got underway, though, the All-Star Weekend, the Los Angeles Kings fired head coach Todd McClellan. I'm afraid, or I'm not afraid. Are you against this move? I'm a little against it, yeah. Why? I am. Explain. So, Jim Hiller will be the interim head coach the rest of the season, taking over for Todd Todd McClellan. Maybe this is what the LA Kings needed, but this is one of those rare cases where I don't put the full blame on Todd McClellan. I just can't. Kings have been lazy on and off the ice in the locker room the entire season. I just feel like no matter who you put behind the bench, it's not going to make them less lazy, but maybe it will, right? As a head coach, it's your responsibility in the locker room to get your players pumped up and ready for each game. But I also think it falls on the captain's job as well to get your players pumped up. That's part of your role of being a captain. And at the end of the day, Todd McClellan got the Kings off to a hot start. Nobody talks about that. The the Kings were rolling early on in the season, but everybody fails to mention that and still has them in a playoff spot. So normally when it comes to coaches being fired, I'm all for it and I agree with it, but this one feels different. I would have let the rest of the season progress and make the firing after the season, depending on how the rest of the season went. It's just a case of coaches are going to have downswings and they're going to have great swings. Started off the season with a great swing, hit with the downswing. He's been great with the Kings. I just, it was just, I think they kind of jumped the gun a little bit. I don't think all the blame should be put on him. We agree. I think it's a shitty move. He was like top three favorite for coach of the year like a month ago. And you just fired him because the team wasn't, performing for like a six-week stretch a lot of teams go through i don't know about that bad but then they got the win right before the all-star break like what was the point of that mm-hmm. like i feel like that could have been a job-saving win and turcott played well and you know you still have all these great players you traded for pierre luke dubois and he hasn't really carried his weight this season and he's the player drew dowdy was calling out when he you know was talking about players going for personal stats and whatnot i'm just not a fan of the firing um, I think Todd McClellan will get another job back on his feet. He seems to love the Pacific Division. I mean, this dude's been with Vegas, and he's been with um, San Jose. He's been, he's been with San Jose. He's been with the Kings. He's been with the Oilers. I mean, what's next? Is he going to be the next coach of the San – or is he going to go back to the San Jose Sharks? I mean, that's really possible. That's right. Did we even name the Sharks? It was the Sharks. He's done – oh, maybe he'll, be, maybe he'll be the next coach of the Ducks. Or something like that. I don't think Vancouver is moving on from talk anytime soon. Just um, a crazy move. Yeah, just absolutely wild. So we'll see what happens with the Kings going forward. I do wish them success because I do think it's a it's a good thing to have them playing well in the NHL. I think the Kings are an important franchise, but we'll see how it goes the rest of the way. Um, during All-Star Week, we had a couple announcements come from Mr. Gary Bettman himself. Um, One of the first ones he announced was that next year in place of the All-Star game, the NHL will have the four nations face off as Canada, the United States, Sweden and Finland will all compete in a round robin tournament with NHL style rules and NHL style point system. The top two teams based on record slash points will move on to the championship game, the one game championship game. 
What are your thoughts on this, Frank? Well, I understand why the NHL decided to choose these four nations to compete in the tournament. I'm not going to lie, though. I'm a little sad that there aren't more nations competing. I mean, we're constantly advocating. We want hockey to grow. And I believe there's some pretty talented nations out there that weren't named as part of this four nations face-off that could really prove themselves. Uh, It's going to be a different change of pace for sure. I just, I think we're going to wear these four teams down over a nine-day period. You can only play the same team so many times. I would have seen, I would have liked to seen a little more flexibility in terms of the nations we're seeing. Absolutely. I, you would think it expands if they do it again. Um, Russia not being involved is obviously the big one. They haven't been in the world juniors for the last handful of years because of geopolitical issues. Um, that always waters down any tournament because Russia, like it or not, is one of the best hockey countries in the world. Um, you know, and not having guys like, you know, Panarin and Malkin and Kaprizov and all these guys who are just wonderful hockey players involved, that's going to suck. Kucherov, the league's leading scorer might be a member of Team Russia, you know, by the end of the year. We'll see if it's either him or the Nate dog. But, you know, it'll be fun. I'll watch every game and love the hell out of it. But, like, I do wish. I think I think best on best Switzerland can compete with Finland at this point in time. I really, really do. Um, at the junior level, no, probably not. Um, I think Finland's still one of the cream of the crops at the junior level, but at best on best, I think team Switzerland, they could be one of the powers. I wholeheartedly believe that, um, you know, they could take one of the goalies from the world juniors. That was great. And your number one centers, he sure you'll have Niederreiter. You'll have Yossi, um, Pia Suter, real good player. I honestly just, some of the best players in the league are from Switzerland. Um, you know, and they're not going to be there. Not having Germany sucks because we won't see dry sidle. Um, the events taking place in Montreal and Boston, we're not going to have pasta play in a world series that's taking on in Boston. That sucks because team Czech Republic has really been on the rise. I think we're calling them Czechia now. Um, they've been one of the best teams in international competition over the last handful of years. Um, I can't wait to see how they play in best on best. But with all this, we did get the return of the Olympic Games, which will have all these teams that I'm mentioning. The league will go in 2026 and 2030. Uh, I believe 2026 is Italy. So we'll get to see an Italian team play for the first time ever, too, which is or not first time ever, but first time since certainly since we've been watching hockey, we'll see Team mm-hmm. Italy go. And I hope Team Italy gets a chance to play against Team Swiss because that's like a real right on the border type rivalry. I really hope that ends up being a thing. Swiss will absolutely dummy them. Team Italy will probably get relegated. But, you know, it's they they probably aren't even eligible to play, but the host country always gets to participate. Um so, you know, I'm very excited about it. The only problem with the Olympics, for Team Canada, we learned that as of right now, Kale McCarr and Robert Thomas, who would certainly be on the team, um, aren't eligible. They are banned from IIHF uh, games right now because of the Hockey Canada thing from 2018. They are not one of the five players facing criminal charges, but every player from that team is ineligible to participate until further notice. So we'll see if those guys are able to make the team here in 2026. That'd be a big hit for Canada if they're not able to bring Kale McCarr and Robert Thomas. And if they don't bring Kale McCarr, you would think they probably don't bring Devin Taves because I feel like Devin Taves would be like a wingman for McCarr because then you know you're getting a great D pair from them. Um, 
but I mean, what are your thoughts on the Olympics coming back? Huge announcement by the NHL. The first time that players will be cleared for the Olympics since 2014. And I don't think that players should ever be barred from wanting to represent their country. Like uh, Gary Bettman shouldn't say, oh yeah, we're not going to go. I think that's stupid. Um, it's one of the biggest tournaments in the entire world. You should be able to exercise your right as a citizen of that country and play in the Olympics if you want to. I mean, this is the le highest level of hockey in the entire world, and the world deserves to see their athletes compete for a gold medal. So I thought it was stupid that they didn't go in 2018. I, I just don't think you should ever be barred like that. But a lot of players were advocating for this decision to be made, and the players cannot be more excited. I could not be more excited. I'm heavily looking forward to this. I hope they never not go again. I hope they always decide to go. This is a great way to grow the game of hockey to not only outside of North America, but to many different parts of the world where hockey is not actively watched as much. So I'm excited. I always look forward to the Olympics. Absolutely. And the plan, it's not set in stone, which we might get an announcement later this week or early next week, but the plan is to announce a World Cup of Hockey in 2028 and 20. 20 or 2028 and 2032 um that would mean that starting in 2026 with the olympics there would be best on best every two years for the next 10 good and next year doesn't really count as best on best but that you could say next year and then 2026 back to back years and then every two years from there so go team usa yeah a lot of fun Go, go Devils, most importantly, when it comes to the best on best hockey. But I don't know. It should be fun. Very mm -hmm. much looking forward to it. Frank, the Beanpot took place on Monday. It was the Beanpot semifinals. Boston University took on Boston College, and Northeastern took on Harvard. Um, great games. Watched them both. Loved every second of it. I actually had a hockey extravaganza all by myself with the Beanpot going on at the same time as Zach Parisi making his – um debut with the avalanche i loved every second of it um but yeah in the first game northeastern made their sixth straight appearance in the beanpot final with their win over havid and in the second game boston university hung on barely to take down the boston college eagles they were winning four to one Boston College came all the way back, got it to four to three, and they were unable to tie it. BU moves on. We have a beanpot final on Monday between Boston University and um, Northeastern. And yep. in the women's one a couple weeks ago, Northeastern beat BU in the final. So we have the same matchup here in the men's version. Will it be the same result? What are your thoughts? BU finally ended their two-game losing streak to Boston College. If Boston College would have won three straight versus BU, I would have said, just award them the national championship now. It's hard to beat a team twice in a row, let alone three times in a row. So, I mean, just I just couldn't see it happening. But Macklin Celebrini wasn't going to allow that to happen. He netted a pair of goals, and because of the brilliant effort out of Boston University, they got it done. They get the honor to face Northeastern now. Northeastern may have won the Beanpot Championship 19 times, VP, but this one feels different. Give me BU. Very interesting, Frank. So Northeastern, they're not known. They are no. They are one of the top college hockey programs. I would say they're not necessarily like a threat to win the Frozen Four every year, but they are always in the Beanpot final for a reason. Lately, it seems like they've produced some high-end NHL players. Um, I think it's very funny. Uh, the other Jack Hughes. There's two Jack Hughes's. 
One's a superstar for the New Jersey Devils. The other one was a second-round pick by the Los Angeles Kings a handful of years ago. Um, they He transferred from Northeastern to BU last year. So he's playing in his first season with BU, and now he gets to play against his old mates in Northeastern in the championship of the Beanpot. Um, probably a good career move for him, though, because he's on a much better team and has a chance to win a national title. Um, it's good to see BU back on track after slipping a little bit. Um, they were still the number three team, but when Boston College swept them two weekends ago, they kind of had a tough go. They lost the third game in a row, but then they got one back last weekend. So getting this big win over BC got to be good for their confidence. I still think BC is the best team in the country, and they're my pick to win the Natty as of right now. But BU, man, when Macklin Celebrini's going and Lane Hudson is moving his legs and Luke Tuck is unreal, he scored a big goal in this one. Um, awesome. Awesome team. Um, real good to see them get an awesome win, too. The Terriers are headed to the Bean Pot final. Game will take place yeah. on Monday. So you think BU is going to get their second win in three years, eh? You would assume so. But, I mean, Northeastern shouldn't. To me, BU is better on paper than Northeastern, in my yeah. opinion. Oh, uh, no, me too. Um, I think but, probably a lot of people's opinions. But Northeastern, man, they thrive here. This is like their home ground. This is yeah. what they do. They're going for a 20-piece. If every game was played at the TD Garden, Northeastern would make the uh, Frozen Four with ease. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, we can't doubt them by any means, but I'm, I'm going BU for sure, 100%. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm going to pick BU as well. Um, did you see the video the Bruins put up the day of the Beanpot semifinal? I did not. Oh, they put up a thing. They put like these three or these four buckets and each one was labeled with the four schools competing in the bean pot and then a pile of pucks right next to it. And as the players were walking from the locker room to practice, they had to take a puck and put it in the bucket that matched the team they thought was going to win the bean pot. And everyone but like five people put their puck in BU. Wow. Which is funny because most of them are. More than half of them are like European. They don't care about college hockey. They don't know what's going on. But when you saw Charlie McAvoy, who's on the back of this shirt I'm wearing That's right now, funny. he That's took really the funny. puck. He took the puck and he kissed it and then put it in the BU one. BU hockey means a lot to him. <laughs> That's fun. I like that. That's good. Very funny. Very very funny. Well, I'm excited about the bean pot. Can't wait for Monday. It's good. It'll be a good way to have a sports wind down from the Super Bowl that comes the day before. Um, oh, yeah. Frank, last thing in the hockey world that we're going to touch on right now before we dive into said Super Bowl, um, the 2025 Winter Classic is going yep. to take place in Chicago at Wrigley Field between the Chicago Blackhawks and the St. Louis Blues. Sup, dude? I, a rematch of the 2017 Winter Classic. I knew this was going to happen sooner rather than later. They would get their Winter Classic. Kind of thought it'd be in 2026 for their centennial season, but you know, the NHL is going to market Connor Bedard so hard, and this is just the beginning. Like, I wouldn't be surprised that the Blackhawks got a stadium series in 2026 for their centennial season. Hopefully, the Blackhawks can end their drought of never winning a winter classic. I see Thomas Gage say, Can we get a can we win the game this time? I agree, they're 0 for 4 in winter classic. Something's got to give. This is the rematch game. Um, the revenge game, I should say, but they're 0-4 in Winter Classics and 1-5 in outdoor games altogether. So this game will mark their seventh outdoor game, the most ever by any, any NHL team. I couldn't be more excited. 
I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I go to this game. I want some sweet revenge over the Blues from what will be eight years ago at that point. I also cannot wait to see what the jerseys look like. The Blackhawks have had many different jerseys over the years, thanks to all the different outdoor games they've been a part of. So I'm just hoping that we get something unique and something we've never seen before. I'm excited. Next year's a reverse retro year. I hope I hope they make reverse retros of those winter classic jerseys they wore back in 2017. Just have awesome. the just have the blues wear that but white and the hawks wear theirs but red. I think they're going all out different. That jersey cool. we never seen before. Either Brand way it'd be, either way it'd be cool. I'm excited about it. If I go, it'll be my fifth outdoor game. I assume you plan on going. Well, yeah, um, because next week, I don't know what we're going to do as far as the show. We could talk about that. But next week on Wednesday, I leave for New Jersey All right. to, go for my fourth, to go for my fourth ever outdoor game between the Flyers and Devils. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to coordinate something because I don't want to not have a show. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but I'm... I'm pumped about it. So outdoor games, big part of hockey, big part of everyone's life. Uh, oh, yeah, Blues versus Blackhawks. Connor Bedard. I didn't know. I didn't know that the Winter Classic every year is the most viewed hockey game. I'm I, not surprised. I, I would have never thought that it beat like the last game of the Stanley Cup Final, the any team's season opener. It is the most watched hockey game every single year, no matter what, except this year. This year it was the second most watched game. The only game that had higher ratings than the 2023 Winter Classic so far this season was Connor Bedard's NHL debut. Wow. So not <laughs> it's not surprising to me that they're having this guy in a Winter Classic to try and get those numbers back to where they were back when the game was hosted on NBC. Um, so it should be a lot of fun, though. I'm excited for the Winter Classic next year. Um I wish it was the Avs they were playing, though. That's my personal opinion. I wish it was the Rangers, but... Fuck the Rangers. It makes sense, dude. The Avalanche have never played at a Winter Classic. Tough. Like, how? Tough. Tough. Get out of here, tough. Tough. Who cares? That's a team full of superstars in your division, and you just play the Blues. Doggy, doggy, dog. Well, yeah, one of the biggest rivalries. Hawks-Blues, dude. It's shitty rivalry right now. St. Louis-Chicago. Sucks. Maybe shitty right now, but it's a good rivalry. Oh, quit your complaining. Trash. I'm not complaining about the Hawks being in. I'm complaining about playing the Blues. Just like I wouldn't want the Blues to be playing against the Blackhawks. Play someone better. Whoever wants to host it, fine. You're the host team. But, like, get out of here with the Blues. VP's one of them, dude. Give me the Avalanche. Give me Kale McCard and the Nate Dog. Give me freaking plus St. Louis, Chicago, two big blues. markets. Whatever, they just better have cool jerseys. Um, maybe they'll do, maybe they'll do Cubs Cardinals theme. They, you better hope they don't do that though, because then I'll be all in on the freaking blues. Um, it is what it is, VP. It is what it is. Period number two. Kinda, kinda, kind really, not like last week, but like kinda. There's like a, always a delay when I press the button, though. No, but like I saw it in your eyes, like kinda, like I, I didn't fully get you. You knew I was out of topics on the sheet. You knew it was coming soon. The thing was over the cursor, so all you had to do was move your hand. But like you, you, you knew, you knew something was coming. But like I got you a little bit. 
That's, I'll give you 10%. Yeah, 100% to 10%. I I mean, we could just go back and watch the tape and see it. Like, yeah, 10%. Frank, it's super week. What's up, dude? How you doing? Are you are you excited? Are you I, as excited as I am? Frank, you have no idea how excited I am. The Super Bowl is just absolutely unbelievable to me. I love the pageantry and the beautifulness and the world coming together. I still don't think, after all these years, people don't get together and watch something the way they do the Super Bowl. Um, no, no, the you know every other championship and every other sport is. Um, a series so like which game gets the most ratings out of them all you know i think a game seven i think a game seven between like the cubs and the white Sox or the yankees and the mets in the world series something like that would get similar ratings but like people don't even come together for wrestlemania the way that they do the super bowl and that's probably up there but like political debates used to be up there in ratings but everybody hates both sides these days so those aren't even in the conversation really anymore um I think I think we're upwards of like something in the high 80s or low 90s being the um, most watched television shows in 2023 were football, um, like the National Football League. I think there was literally in the high 80s or low 90s. There was a couple political uh, shows. There was a couple. I think one of the tennis matches was in the top 100. I'm sure. Yeah. Something like that. But I mean, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. Um, can't wait for it. What are you gonna be your snacks and refreshments this year that you're most looking forward to, dude? As far as I know, there will be just about any types of snacks you can imagine. Like, literally, we're gonna have pizza, chicken, beef, chips, dips, mini tacos, wings, and that isn't even all of it. It's like we hit every food group, it's the most diverse spread of food we've ever had at a Super Bowl party. And it's just like you don't go to a Super Bowl party. And have garlic bread and steak. You go to a Super Bowl party to, for the food that makes you feel good. Your soul food. I want to feel like shit after I watch the Super Bowl because of how much wings and pizza I put into my body. And that's what we're getting. And I'm excited for it. So I'm excited for everything, really. And it may be because I'm partially hungry right now. So it's making me looking look forward to it even more. But I'm excited. There you go, Frank. I'm with you. I'm do you know your spread you're kind of having? Or? I really don't. I know we have one person making pork butt, which is really, really exciting. Can't wait. You know, all those different kind of like ways you can do barbecue um, with Kansas City being involved in the Super Bowl. I think that's important. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. I know I'll be drinking my Cokes. Um, Got to have those for the Super Bowl, of course. Um, I'm sure something Buffalo related, right? I haven't really fully decided what I'm contributing yet, but I'm very much looking forward to, you know, eating something Buffalo-y and eating something porky along with my Cokes. Those are going to be my main refreshments this year. Absolutely cannot wait. So you're saying a bu- Buffalo's a must no matter what? I think it should even be. Like, even like the Buffalo Bills aren't in it? Yeah. So like, so no matter what, just Buffalo no matter yeah. what? Because the flavor of Buffalo to me isn't what makes me think of Buffalo, New York. The Buffalo wing makes me think of Buffalo, New York. Okay. So, you know, I there are other places around the country that have taken the concept of Buffalo sauce and made it into dips and casseroles and 
all sorts of different things. So something Buffalo related could go for any team in the league. Okay, that's fair. The Jacksonville Jaguars could be playing the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl, and I would want Buffalo. I like Buffalo dip. Buffalo dip is flame. I'm not a big fan of like Buffalo sauce in general, unless it's the dip. Understood. Absolutely understood. Um, Very, very pumped to eat on Sunday. Probably the second best part of the Super Bowl besides the game itself. Um, Frank, we're going to go through each portion of the two teams playing in the Super Bowl. Offense, not including the quarterback, the quarterback, the defense, and the head coach. And we're going to say which team has the advantage heading into Super Sunday. We will start with the non-quarterback offense of each team. Which one is better and why? I'm going with the San Francisco 49ers. I think Patrick Mahomes makes the offense of the Chiefs better as a whole, but if you had somebody, let's say, like Lamar Jackson quarterbacking both offenses, he would have a better offense on the 49ers. Christian McCaffrey's hands down the best running back in the Super Bowl. Maybe he might be the best running back in the league to many. The 49ers have some of the best receiving corps in the entire NFL. They're just one of only two teams, the other being the Dolphins, where they have two separate players ranked inside the top 13th highest graded wide receivers this season, including the playoffs. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk are elite. The Chiefs have the advantage at tight end, but only slightly. With all that being said, advantage 49ers on offense as a whole. Very fair. Very, very fair. I will totally agree. It's not even particularly close. Uh, I think... I think I might, if we divided it up into weapons versus offensive line, I think I would give the offensive line edge to the Chiefs and the weapons to the 49ers. But since we're doing it as offense as a whole, I definitely would give it to uh, the 49ers because it's not like their offensive line is bad either. Um, it's very good, actually. Um, but yeah, with Ayuk and Kittle, you know, kind of leading the way with McCaffrey there. Um, it is, oh, Debo Samuel. I mean, the names just go on and on when it comes to the San Francisco 49ers offense. I think they are just so spectacular in every way. And, you know, they make their quarterback look very, very good and promising. Um, so I give the edge on offense, not including the QB to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, dude just missed the first hour, 15 minutes of talking, nothing but hockey comments, football. Um, He's excited about it, though. Yeah, maybe this time. Frank, the quarterback, which team has the advantage at quarterback? Feels like a dumb question. It is a dumb question. Goes to the Kansas City Chiefs hands down. We can't even compare Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy and pretend it's even close. Patrick Mahomes' best gameplay comes out in moments like these. He's a multiple Super Bowl winning quarterback. He has many more up his sleeve. Brock Pur- Purdy is capable of winning a Super Bowl if he has the right team around him. He makes great throws when he needs to. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback, but he doesn't possess the awareness and mindset like Patrick Mahomes does, and that's ultimately what makes him a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, we, we can't compare. As of right now, I think Patrick Mahomes is the second best or third best quarterback who ever lived. I would go Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Patrick Mahomes. Um... No, I would rank them fourth. I would go Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Joe Montana, Patrick Mahomes. 
He jumps to second if they win the Super Bowl on Sunday. Wow. Behind Tom Brady. I don't think championships are everything, which is why he would pass Montana, who has four. Peyton Manning has two. But Peyton Manning has two to Montana's four, and I already have Peyton ahead of Montana. So, you know, it's not all about championships. I do think teams and situations are a big portion of that. Um, The Colts were a joke for a lot of the early stages of Peyton Manning's career, and then they finally got over the hump. Um, when they beat the Bears in the Super Bowl. So I think Patrick Mahomes has a chance to be the second best quarterback of all time with a win here. Um, he could even play great and lose by a point, and I could still possibly view him as the second best quarterback after Sunday. Um, this is a big game for him in that way. Um, but, you know, regardless of what happens on Sunday, I still think Patrick Mahomes adds two to three more rings minimum. So they. They have a lot to play for here, obviously, but I definitely think the advantage goes to quarterback. Brock Purdy, nice story, right? Iowa State, he was a cyclone, Mr. Irrelevant, finds his way because Trey Lance got hurt and Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't available, and they move on to Brock Purdy, and Brock Purdy comes into the NFL and he shows that he belongs. He's not a bad quarterback. If anything, he's probably top 10 at this point. Um, We'll see how long he's able to have a successful career, but you know, he pales in comparison to Patrick Mahomes most do. Um, Frank, the defense, which team has a better defense, San Francisco 49ers or the Kansas city chiefs? It is the toughest of the, of them all. This, although, although I think coach is tougher than people realize too. Uh, You think there's a chalk answer for coach, but when you go back and you look at things a little bit, I think it's a little bit tougher than you think, but I still think this one's the toughest. It's I'll hear arguments from either side, to be honest. I'm going to give the edge though, to the 49ers slightly. Well, lately in the postseason, it, it appears to be the Chiefs that have the better defense. But as a whole, I'm going to go with the 49ers. The Chiefs held the Ravens to only 10 points, one of the highest scoring teams in the league, that explosive offense. This is the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has ever had. But I got to give respect to Nick Bose on the other side, who is the 2022 Defensive Player of the Year. Chiefs have Chris Jones, so it's very close. But you guys, you got guys like J.R. Brown who's a 49ers rookie, who's playing like he's been a 10-year veteran in the league. You also got veteran safety to Sean Gibson Sr., who's been lights out against the run since joining the 49ers. It's very, very close. You got great guys on both sides, but I'm giving the edge to the 49ers. Uh, I like Fred Warner. I forgot Fred Warner. I didn't even mention him. Yeah, you made a lot of good arguments. I do think the 49ers have an elite defense, and it's one of the best in the NFL. I'm giving the edge to the Chiefs, though, because they have Dre Greenlaw. They have Chavarius Ward. They have Javon. No, Javon Hargrove's really, really good for the 49ers. Um, oh, Legereus Sneed on the Chiefs is just absolutely unbelievable. Um, I love Jordan, George Karlaftis. Really, really good player. Trent McDuffie. I mean, these guys are just absolutely unbelievable. It's a very offensive loaded game. I think when we name our top 10 players competing in the Super Bowl um, in the third period, I think there's going to be a lot of offensive players' names. I'm interested to see what defensive players you included. But, you know, when I look at the names that were all in consideration for my list, um, a lot of the ones that were on defense were really mostly on the Chiefs. And I think with Chris Jones leading the way and the, and the actual – body of work that they've put in over the last handful of games against certain opponents, including the Ravens who had probably the most dynamic offense in the NFL this season. Um, They're so good that they forced the Ravens, the best team in the league to change how they play. 
coming into the game. Was it a mistake by Harbaugh and the Ravens? Yes, I believe it was a mistake. I think they could have won if they weren't stupid. But they were stupid. The reason they were stupid is because Kansas City intimidated them into being stupid because their defense is so good. Give me the Chiefs defense, but by a hair. So, um, Coach, you have Kyle Shanahan of the San Francisco 49ers, one of the best young minds in the game today. He learned his trade well. You look back at his career past. He's offensive coordinator here. He's quarterback's coach there. There's success everywhere he goes, and now he's a head coach of the 49ers. He's in the Super Bowl again. Um, then you got Andy Reid, who has he kind of was Kyle Shanahan before Kyle Shanahan. Offensive guru. He's in the Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator with the Eagles. I think, did he get as a head coach with the Eagles to the Super Bowl? And then they lost with Donovan McNabb, if I remember correctly. I don't remember exactly. It's been a long time having Andy Reid in the NFL. But now he's going for his third Super Bowl. After looking kind of like he might retire as the greatest coach to never win the Super Bowl, now he's going for his third. I'm sure he thinks his lucky stars for Patrick Mahomes' birth and arrival to the NFL every single day because it made him go from a Hall of Fame coach to an all-time great coach. Um, that's kind of my argument, but what do you have as the um, advantage in terms of the coaches here? I'm going Andy Reid. He's a mastermind, one of the best coaches in NFL history. There's a difference between winning and knowing how to win. Like, don't get me wrong, Kyle Shanahan, amazing coach. Can coach the team to a winning season, coach them to the to a Super Bowl. But Andy Reid knows how to outcoach the opponent, and even in adversity, win in big moments. Like we've yet to see that out of Kyle Shanahan. This will be the third time Shanahan's made it to the Super Bowl. First time he made it was with the Falcons as an offensive coordinator, where they choked that twenty-eight to three lead. Obviously, not his fault. But I mean, you, you are still the offensive coordinator here. Couldn't find any offense after um, going choking that lead, but he also made it back to the Super Bowl as a head coach with the 49ers um, during Super Bowl 54, where they ultimately lost to the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid, 31-20. Both of his losses at the Super Bowl came to Hall of Fame coaches on the other end, but these are the coaches you have to beat to really cement your legacy in the NFL. So to me, I think it's Andy Reid by a slightly larger than maybe you think margin, but I give it to Andy Reid. I went back and forth. You think it's a large margin? No, a slightly larger than you think margin. Oh, I, I think... don't think it's a large margin, but I don't think it's slim, slim. I think it's slightly larger than slim. I I might rank them one and two in the NFL. Wow. I, like who else is in the conversation? Uh, a lot of a lot of people have Tom soured. Outstanding. A, a lot of people have soured on them. Both of them in the playoffs, though. Like they both they both looked really dumb in the playoffs this year. Um, I don't know. I would take Kyle Shanahan over both of them. Wow! Like absolutely, actually, they got the Falcons to the. He was the offensive coordinator of that great Falcons team that Matt Ryan looked like Peyton Manning, and then they blew a twenty-eight to three lead. But that was because of a bad decision to not kick a field goal, and you gave Tom the ball in overtime, and like, of course, what happened happened. But, like, he was the quarterback's coach in Washington, and they were so good when he was there. Like, everywhere he goes turns to gold. I legitimately thought about naming him over Andy Reid because Andy Reid has Patrick Mahomes. He was basically Kyle Shanahan until Patrick Mahomes came along. What would Kyle Shanahan do with freaking Mahomes if he had him in the NFL? I think they could win 10 straight Super Bowls. I really do. Like, 
I don't know. It's it's close. The yeah. only problem is Shanahan can't coach in these big games. Tomlin Super Bowl, Harbaugh Super Bowl, Andy Reid Mastermind Super Bowl. He just can't. He just can't coach in these types of situations. He can though. He he's they got to the Super Bowl and they had a lead against the Patriots, who beat them. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And the why greatest. is no one giving them credit? No one is. No one thinks the 49ers could win this game. They're I've favored. not heard one person. I've not heard one person. But they're literally favored in Vegas. Oh, they're favored. But why isn't nobody saying they could win this game? I've never heard one person. It's because Patrick Mahomes is that insane. It's because Andy Reid's the could out coach Kyle Shanahan. I don't agree. I think they're pretty close to equal. I'm going to give the slight, the ever so slight edge to Andy Reid because of what is he's Andy done. Is Andy Reid a Hall of Fame quarterback Hall of Fame coach? Yes. Is so Kyle, Kyle Shanahan? Ch- yes. No, I would say no. Yes. Absolutely. I think there's 0%. You're crazy. You like you need to go back and look at what Kyle Shanahan has I done. Have. I have. I did the re- he hasn't done he, anything major. They've gotten to this he's been in the Super Bowl multiple times. Okay. Like with two different franchises. So getting that, there makes sure that was that was coach. Andy Reid until Patrick Mahomes came around. Is Nick Sirianni a Hall of Fame coach? No, he made it he to the Super Bowl. Been, but uh, but that's not the only argument. It's well, all the winning. It's really all the winning. They're they're in the Super Bowl with mystery relevant. If he had Patrick Mahomes, they would have won four straight by now. He's know. in the Super Bowl with a quarterback that was the number four guy on their depth start chart to start last year. I don't know, VP. I'm I'm slightly picking Andy Reid. I'm like it's ever so slightly because he's a legend and I respect him and I don't want to sound like I'm poo-pooing on him. But Kyle Shanahan's the second best. I, it's honestly amazing. The two best coaches in the league met each other in the Super Bowl. That's crazy. Like who's better? Like, I, I know you said. I know you said. Tomlin, I would take them over Shanahan. They're both going to be fired soon. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Pittsburgh's bringing Tomlin back again. Tomlin is so good. He's so good. If Tomlin was if Tomlin was coaching this 49ers team, it'd be different. And Shanahan, if he was coaching the Steelers, they would be in the same boat. Nothing. It wouldn't be. They wouldn't be in the Super Bowl right now if Kyle Shanahan was coaching the Steelers. It just wouldn't. I just just don't agree at all. Like I think think they'd be in the Super Bowl. Yes. That's crazy. Well, they're in the AFC. They're in the AFC. That's they could have they could have lost to the Ravens or the the Chiefs along the way here. Yeah, that could have happened. But yeah, they'd be much amazing more, coach. I gave them credit. You're making they, it seem like I don't. They'd I be much more Shanahan. likely to win with Kyle Shanahan, the Steelers. It's time for the Steelers to make a change. I'm shocked they didn't. Wow. I, I, I mean, it's just he's been there for so long and they haven't won anything in a decade. Shanahan has been significantly better in the last 10 years than Tomlin. All time, a Tomlin's probably ahead because of what happened early on. But in the last five to ten years, it's not even particularly close. Kyle That's Shanahan, crazy. Kyle Shanahan's a dog. You're given you coach the team you're dealt with, so. Oh uh, yeah, I know. And the team he's dealt with. That's has, why if, if Tom has, was coaching the 49ers, it'd be the same thing in my opinion. So. They drafted a quarterback third overall that became a bust. He's played two games in the NFL. And mystery relevant is in the Super Bowl. Like that's how good Kyle Shanahan has been. You, I feel like I picked Kyle Shanahan. I, I I picked Andy Reid out of respect. I almost want to flip it, but I can't. I want to root for Patrick Mahomes to get as many Super Bowls as possible. And if the 49ers lose to the Chiefs on Sunday, it's like because Patrick Mahomes was so good, 
But those like, are the guys you got to beat. In order to win the Super Bowl, absolutely. No, in order to cement your legacy in the NFL. Did Bill Belichick ever step down and not beat some of the great coaches? In no. That's well, why he's one of the best. Until and Andy is one of the best. That, and Belichick has a losing record by a lot without Tom Brady. He got fired. He got fired in Cleveland. But Belichick's a different story, though, because Belichick dealt his own hand. He went to the grocery store and cooked the meal. He was the GM and the coach. Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan, neither of them do that. Um, I give Andy Reid the slight edge because of experience and knowing how to coach Mahomes. I wholeheartedly think Kyle Shanahan would be a four-time Super Bowl champion if he inherited Patrick Mahomes in 2017. I agree. I think if any of the coaches I named inherited Patrick and you, And if that were the case, you would see Kyle Shanahan as the best coach in the NFL. If that was the case, I would see Kyle Shanahan as the best coach. Yeah. But under the circumstances we have right now, it's a slighter than large margin just because of Andy Reid's got Patrick Mahomes. He knows how to coach him. So. When Kyle Shanahan gets inducted into the Hall of Fame in 30 years, me and you are going to Canton. <laughs> and I'm going to buy. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for the whole trip. But you got to go. And you have to sit there and watch him give his Hall of Fame speech. That's fine. It'll be right after we go to Toronto to see Sergey Bobrovsky inducted into the Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, That's crazy. What team has more to prove here in the Super Bowl? The 49ers, no doubt. Like everyone is doubting the 49ers in this situation, including me. On paper, they're just as good of a talented team as the Chiefs. But this is like one of those cases of David versus Goliath. David can prevail and prove themselves. But it seems like no one's giving the 49ers credit or talking about their chances of winning. A win out of the 49ers would send shockwaves, VP, through the NFL and really send a message that Brock Purdy and company could beat anyone that you throw their way. And honestly, a 49ers win could prove historic for the players on the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. This would be a historic win. Now we're cooking if Kyle Shanahan could get a win. Historic. People will be talking about the Super Bowl for the next 20 years if the 49ers could win. You're sending a message that they deserve to be there and deserve to be talked about as one of the best teams in the NFL and not just another piece of history that Patrick Mahomes will be able to talk about when he retires. I have a cop-out answer. Uh-oh. I think it's equal both ways. Wow. I really See, do. I didn't want to choose a tie, VP. You can't well, choose a tie. Well, I'll explain why, and I'll pick one if you force me. But the 49ers, their entire future is going to be impacted by this game, I think. If Brock Purdy goes out there, if if Brock Purdy goes out there and stinks, they're moving on. Because they will they will say we have this all-time great Hall of Fame coach. <laughs> with all these weapons around the quarterback, and they couldn't get it done in the Super Bowl because of the quarterback, they will go out and make a change. They'll Justin Fields, or they will try to make some kind of upgrade. Any loss or like a blowout? No, Brock Purdy stinking. Oh, okay. To, and leading to a loss. Okay. I think if they thirty-four to twenty-eight, and both teams played well, but somebody has to win because it's a team sport, then no. What if but, he played so bad but they won? I still he think they were picked. Four yeah, picks. Move they on. Squeaked the it out barely. Then that would be even prove my point more about Kyle Shanahan. You should be praying that doesn't happen. Well, I don't um, care if your point's wrong. I just I believe what I believe. I mean, yeah, I get it. But Kyle Shanahan's a freaking monster, and he he 
he has to prove that he can win the big game. Absolutely. But he's won, he's won big games. He hasn't won the big game. Literally the first words out of my mouth when I was talking about Kyle Shanahan is that Kyle Shanahan is an amazing coach. I know. I'm not shitting on Kyle Shanahan. I know. And say so you were. But it's just. He is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Maybe. If if he died right now, would he make the Hall of Fame? No. No. But, like, we would have said that about but Andy Reid five he, years ago. You're right. But Andy Reid's proved it. That's why who has more to prove here? It's the 49ers and Kyle Shannon and everybody and Brock Purdy. And it's From like, that perspective, yes. The you reason need to I was do more than just make it there. The reason I was calling it a tie, though, is because Patrick Mahomes, he is trying to prove that he is in Tom Brady's stratosphere, and That's I think like having a kind of prove, though. Yeah, yeah. We're they, talking but about they... Hall of Fame prove, or like who's just got more to prove in the game? Like... Uh, more to prove in the game is probably the 49ers. because they are the the non-experienced champion. They haven't won the Super Bowl with this core. Um, but Patrick Mahomes is going out there to try and prove that he is an all-time great, even though he doesn't have to prove it. Let me put it this way. There are three people whose opinion I have about them is not even going to slightly change no matter what happens in the Super Bowl. Those three people are Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Kyle Shanahan. My opinion on any of those three is not going to change based on the Super Bowl. The only way... Something will change is if they pull a Harbaugh and just completely change how they've played all season long out of intimidation and get blown out. That's the only way that I could see something like that happening. But like if Patrick Mahomes has a bad Sunday and they lose, like, you know, Tom Brady went seven and three in the Super Bowl. Um, he's already Mahomes is already two and one. He'll either be two and two or three and one. Um but I don't know. It's a very loaded question. I think if I had to pick one, I would pick the 49ers because they haven't won one yet with this coach or quarterback. Fair enough. All right, Frank. I think it's time for the moment of truth. I think it's time to get to a couple more of the topics at hand for the Super Bowl. And period number All right, Frank, we did this last year. We're going to do it again this year. We're going to name off the top 10 players participating in the Super Bowl. A lot of superstars on both sides, on both sides of the ball. Um, Let's get right to it. We'll go kind of like when we did our top 10 teams throughout the season. I got to be honest with you. You said offensive heavy. I agree with you. I have more offense than defense, but I did give some respect to four defensive players, almost half. Um, I have, uh, one, two, three, I have three. Yeah. So we're about the same. Yeah. I have a feeling I know which one you left off, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I know for sure. Obviously the three, we have three of the same. I don't think there's anybody out of those three that are different on mine of my four. For sure. I'd be stunned. But we'll see. You start we'll with see. 10, obviously. Go for it. All right. I got Brandon Ayuk at 10. 
led the NFL in first down rate among all pass catchers with at least 75 targets, finished with over 1,300 yards receiving, seven touchdowns. Ayuk had a dominant year, and he needs to do it once more if he wants to become a Super Bowl champion. With how great Ayuk has been on this list, it's hard not to include him. Thought about not doing it. Then I looked at the numbers, and I'm like, he's a top 10 player in this game, in my opinion. So I got Ayuk at number 10. At number 10, I kind of went off the board a little bit because I think he's underrated, and I think he deserves to be mentioned. I'm going with Creed Humphrey, the center for the Kansas City Chiefs. He is... You can argue he's the second best center in the NFL behind Jason Kelsey, who's now retired, which would make him the number one center in the NFL. Um, he could probably be a Hall of Fame type guy. Um, the offensive line of the Kansas City Chiefs is unreal. I'm going to name another Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman on this list. So that just goes to show if you have two top to Super Bowl as a whole on your offensive line, it's really good news for the quarterback. Um, Creed Humphrey is one of the leaders of that pack, and I have him coming in at number 10. At number nine, I have George Kittle. George Kittle is, I do find it funny, every year the Super Bowl has two of the top five tight ends in the NFL. It just seems about every year. Name the top five tight ends from that season, and they found, and two of them found their way into the Super Bowl every year. And one of them will be named a little bit later, and the other one's George Kittle, who I have coming in at number nine. He is just one of the best tight ends in the NFL. He can line up as a receiver. He's not really as much of a pass-blocking tight end as he maybe once was or you know, probably some of the other all-time greats, but, man, can he make a difference on offense? He's out there as a threat. He's one of the boys on offense. Um, I think the world of what he does for both the run game and the pass game in terms of his skills as a tight end, and I have him in there at number nine. Number nine, I also have George Kittle. He's the second best tight end in the Super Bowl. He may be the best tight end in the Super Bowl in terms of run blocking, but George Kittle is a man of many talents, and he will show you why he is top 10 player in this year's Super Bowl for many other reasons just than the amount of receptions he may receive in this game. I think he's a, he's, he's a very good tight end. I'm not going to say he's underrated because everybody knows he's a top three tight end in the league, but I think he's underrated in terms of other stuff he could do other than his offense. So I have him at number nine. You could say the other guy in the Super Bowl might be a better overall receiving tight end, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. Kittle is like right there with Gronk as like one of the best blocking tight ends of yeah. all time. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. Um, number eight, I got Debo Samuel. This was crazy that when I found this out. When Debo Samuel is on the field, the expected points added goes up from 0 0.01 to 0 0.18. To me, that's crazy. It's a 17-point increase, a 0.17-point increase, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it really is. When one player on offense is coming off and on the field, you're going up by almost 20%, which is just crazy this offense isn't as explosive without Debo Debo in the lineup and if the 49ers want to win this game Samuel's gonna have to contribute to a big part of the game I would assume I mean there's always the ch the chance that you know somebody that we had never heard of has a big game and scores a couple touchdowns and but Debo Samuel's gonna have to be a big part of this game like he's been all year if they want to win which is why since he's such an important piece to this 49ers offense, I put him at number eight. Very good. At number eight, I put Fred Warner. He's just absolutely amazing for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, 
He helps keep – so, like, I think linebacker has become kind of a depth position in the NFL over the last handful of years. Uh, leagues, GMs, owners, they care more about corners and edge rushers, and I do too. Building a team from scratch, I would care more about those positions too. But what Warner brings to the 49ers in the middle of their defense is just a threat every single time. He's going to help you stop the run. He's going to make it hard for the quarterback to just completely trust, you know, his receivers all the time just because he's kind of all over the place. Um, he makes it real hard for a team to be effective in like, you know, play action or screens, stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting to see if they, uh, are able to kind of get around him for the Kansas city chiefs because the 49ers have a stud with him there in the middle of the field. Um, and at number eight or what I just said, number eight, number seven, eight for you. Yeah. Number seven is Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa is one of the best defensive players in the NFL. I think he he could be a Hall of Famer, right? Like he's going to create pressure. He missed the start of the year. Was that this year that he missed? You know, it all kind of blends together at some point. He I think missed it was this year, and you know, it took him a minute to get going. He's not going to be the defensive player here this year, even though I think he was a nominee. Um, we're probably going to end up seeing your boy TJ Wood be the defensive player. There's a chance, but you know, you never know what happens. But um, Nick Bosa, he's going to make Patrick Mahomes run for his life at least once or twice. He is going against one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, so it'll be interesting to see how he performs in this game. But Nick Bosa, just an absolute dog on the edge, um, got him there at number seven. My number seven is Fred Warner, guy you just mentioned at eight. Dual threat when it comes to dropping back and defending in coverage or rushing the quarterback when the ball is snapped. As soon as the ball is snapped, he zooms like a rocket. And Isaiah Pacheco is going to be relied on heavily during certain portions of this game. As much as you think uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to air the ball out, they are going to hand it off a good portion as well. And who's going to be waiting in his tracks to stop the run? Fred Warner. The Chiefs aren't going to be passing on every play, but they will think about passing more because of Fred Warner on the other side of the ball. Deserves number seven. Number six, they were just your two back-to-back. They're my two back-to-back. It's Nick Bosa. Bosa's been one of the most consistent players in the NFL since he joined the NFL. He won Defensive Player of the Year in 2022. Like you said, he might be nominated this year. But even since 2021, Nick Bosa ranks first in quarterback hits with 115 of them, 17 more than the man in second place. Also since 2021, he has 44 and a half sacks, which ranks third. 56 tackles for losses, which ranks which ranks second from 2021. Like I said, he's it's been consistent. The consistency's been through the roof, and is clearly one of the best defensive players in the NFL when he's healthy. At number six, I have a guy you named Debo Samuel. He's gonna help Brock Purdy try to make plays on offense. Um always going to be you know kind of a group effort when it comes to weapons on the san francisco 49ers it's not as much of a go-to to one person in big situations as it might be for kansas city even though we'll see how that progresses as this game went along kansas city in the playoffs has utilized other guys as well but you know debo samuel he's going to lead the way offensively in terms of weapons so i have him at number six it should be interesting to see how um you know, he impacts this game. He kind of helped Brock Purdy get in the MVP conversation this season. Well, now he's going to be here in the Super Bowl trying to get it done once again. And then at number five, I put Trent Williams, the left tackle of the San Francisco 49ers. Um, it's important to have good offensive line play. And he's one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. I think every team in the league would want to have a guy like that. Um, having a left tackle 
I think if you were to ask a GM, what are their, you know, three most important positions? Number one would obviously be quarterback. And then at number two, I think they would debate between um, left tackle and uh, edge rusher, like a pass rusher. Um, the 49ers have a lot of good pieces at all those positions, especially if Brock Birdie plays well at quarterback and Trent Williams is no, um, slouch by any means. He will impact this game in a lot of ways. I have him in at number five. My number five is also Trent Williams VP. If Trent Williams didn't play for the 49ers, I honestly believe they would not be in this position right now. They might not have made it to the Super Bowl. I think one left tackle makes all the difference in the world. His pass protection is one of the best in the NFL, and he could also defend the run block game at such a high level. Trent Williams is an absolute beast, and I'm glad you had him at number five. I, I didn't know if you'd include him on the list, to be honest with you. But had I'm, to. I'm glad we have him both at five in the top five. Number four is going to be Chris Jones absolute beast who knows where to position himself on the field to give him the upper hand. Jones had 10 and a half sacks this year and is going to make Brock Purdy feel the pressure the entire night. If I was Brock Purdy, you're going to have a headache the whole night having to evade Chris Jones. He's so good at what he does. He's so good with his awareness, so good with his positioning. Had to put Chris Jones at number four. There you go. At number four, I put Travis Kelsey. I think Travis Kelsey at times would have been number two on this list over the years um, if they were playing anybody in the Super Bowl, but I have him at number four, which feels like I'm insulting him. He's one of the best tight ends who ever lived, but I think uh, the other guys, I think you'll understand why I put them ahead, but I do think Travis Kelsey's the fourth best player in this game. He probably, he probably wouldn't have made this list at all if I were saying the top 10 players on the 49ers and Chiefs entering the playoffs. And then he showed me exactly why there are just guys who turn it on in the playoffs. And it was like a little bit like that with Gronkowski towards the end of his career. Um, you know, they they would be a little hurt or a little jacked up during the season. Then all of a sudden the playoffs come around and their quarterbacks, they know who to trust. They know where to go with the football in key moments. And Kelsey has been that for the Chiefs so far this playoff season, and I think he is just as dynamic as they come in terms of uh, tight ends in NFL history. At number two, I put Mr. Chris Jones. I don't know if there is a player that helps a defense more in the NFL right now than Chris Jones. And when the Chiefs were missing him at the beginning of last year, dealing with a similar situation as what Bosa went through this year with the contract stuff, it was tough early on. And, you know, you add him into that defense, and it's the fastest, most efficient defense, as you mentioned, that Mahomes has had in his career, and it's all led by Chris Jones. He's in the middle of everything. He racks up sacks on sacks on sacks. I think he's going to really have a challenge ahead of him with the San Francisco 49ers front being what he has to deal with in the Super Bowl, but we've seen him make impact in the Super Bowl before. I have him in at number three. Oh, okay. You said two to begin. You made me nervous. I went, th I met three. I oh, just okay. spoke I out of nervous. No, I, I spoke like... out of term. So, I mean, uh, Chris Jones is your three, right? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Kelsey was four and Jones okay. was three. I That's didn't mean to say two. My third is Travis Kelsey. Chiefs dominance really has come over the years with the help of Travis Kelsey being one of the best tight end and tight ends in the league for who knows how long 
Mahomes and Kelsey as a one-two punch is scary for just about any team that has to face them because, let's be honest, this Chiefs team has struggled with catching the ball. But you always got Travis Kelsey as the bright spot. To If there's a guy you got to rely on to catch the ball, it's Travis Kelsey. He's going to dominate. So I think it's no question that he's top five on our list. Once again, we're, we're nailing these top fives, and he deserves to be – he is the best tight end in this game. Um, not by much, but he, he deserves third on my list. Number two, I got Christian McCaffrey. Clearly the best running back in the league. The most consistent offensive player all year on either side of the field. I don't think Christian McCaffrey had one bad game through the regular season or the playoffs. He might not have scored a touchdown in every single game, but he set a record. And even the games he didn't score a touchdown, he was just a beast because he just had so many rushing yards and so hard to tackle. I mean, he is a game changer. He is what you call a potential X factor in winning the Super Bowl for the 49ers if it happens. So that's Christian McCaffrey. I got him at number two. At number two, I also have Christian McCaffrey. Um, when healthy, he's the best running back in the NFL. I think you can make arguments for a bunch of guys in the league because of health purposes or durability. But when McCaffrey's on the field, there's nobody I'd rather take. He doesn't become – he's not the number one pick in fantasy every year because people are scared he's going to get hurt. But if you took that chance on him this year, it paid off for you. Um, I'm sure he was on a lot of championship teams in fantasy football this season. He was just absolutely unbelievable all year long. And coming into the Super Bowl, I expect him to make an impact. This is his first time in the Super Bowl because the last time the 49ers made it, he was um, with the Carolina Panthers. So, you know, we'll see if he's able to come in and help them get the job done. I think he is the most important player to their chances at winning the Super Bowl. He has really helped Brock Purdy become what he has become as a quarterback in this league. And I'm excited to see how he plays in the biggest game of his life. And at number one, I have the baby goat himself could potentially be the goat if all goes well and according to plan in the rest of his career. And that is Mr. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is the greatest thrower of the football I have ever seen in my entire life. He has Tom Brady's brain with Aaron Rodgers's accuracy and Jay Cutler's power. Uh, like that's exactly what Patrick Mahomes is. Um, it is unlike any specimen I've ever seen before. He looks like a complete dork all the time. And then he goes out there and is the best quarterback ever. He even walks to the line. He's not even like, he doesn't even have swag when he walks from the huddle to the line of scrim. Looks like he's walking to class or something. And then he throws the football the way that Aaron Rodgers does with better accuracy and, or with equal accuracy and more power. And, you know, he's uh, going to looking to be a three-time Super Bowl champion. I, he is just absolutely unbelievable. Like, I I think when it's all said and done, you know, I'm a Tom guy. I'll always be a Tom guy. I will root for the Patriots and Buccaneers when they're not playing the Bears till the day I die. Um, Mahomes has a chance to play past that. He has a chance to reach that pinnacle. And it, it's coming into play here. This is his fourth Super Bowl. They've been in the AFC title game six straight years. Um, the last time... Um, Mahomes didn't make it to the AFC title game at minimum was the year Tom Brady played against Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars in the championship game. The last time neither of them played in the championship game. Now I'm drawing a blank on who it would have been. I forget there. There was some crazy style. Like last time Manning Brady or Mahomes weren't in the, um, 
AFC title game. It was some dumb matchup. I forget what it was, but it it's just been remarkable what he's done. And I not only do I think he's the number one player in this game, he's the number one player in the NFL, and you could argue in NFL history. My number one is also Patrick Mahomes, as you probably would have expected. No, I honestly think if you asked a thousand people off the street who the best player in this year's Super Bowl is, all a thousand would say Patrick Mahomes. You might get like five trolls, but it's almost undoubtedly not even an opinion anymore. It's just the fact that he's the best player in the Super Bowl this year. And like you said, one of the best players of all time. What does he need to do to be the GOAT? Tom Brady has, I think he's, he's the most passing yards in NFL history and most touchdowns, and he's won the Super Bowl seven times, which does a lot of time be impacted by coaches, receiving situation, weapons, defenses. You know, Super Bowl wins are a team thing just as much as a quarterback thing. Um, what does Patrick Mahomes need to do to be the GOAT? I think he does have to win almost seven Super Bowls or six and a whole lot more passing yards and production. I do. I, I think if he won five Super Bowls and was had less passing yards, he's not going to be considered the GOAT. No. Even if maybe he outperformed Brady in certain seasons or what looked better than Brady at certain point. I still don't think he'll be the good. I do think he needs to reach that seven pinnacle or six and like great stats. Otherwise I'll give him goat status at five. If he is so much, so clearly better than Tom Brady in regular season and playoffs. Really? Like, yeah. Yeah. I because I, would. I, I already see it. Like, he is what we thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be. If Aaron Rodgers had five Super Bowls right now, we'd be calling him the GOAT. He was clearly a better-looking quarterback than Tom Brady. Not talking based on sexiness. Talking based on how they look as a player. That dude, he, Rodgers, he's immaculate. And they just, he has one Super Bowl, so you're not going to call him the GOAT. But, like... Mahomes is that with the winning. It's it's unbelievable what he is. And I don't I honestly as a Tom Brady guy, I don't even know for. I'm just gonna sit back and enjoy because it's just been so fun. Neither of us put Brock Purdy. No. Where would you rank him? Inside the top fifteen, maybe. Okay. Cause I do think the quarterback, you're not in the Super Bowl if they're not good. They might not need to be great, but I think they need to be good. Like, Nick was good the year the Eagles went to the Super Bowl and won it. He wasn't great, but he was good. Somewhere between 11 and 15. Okay. Because, like, I, I'm looking um, at both rosters and, like, is Ward more impactful? Is Hargrave, Sneed, um, Karloftis, Ayuk, Pacheco? I, you put Ayuk. I didn't. He barely. Uh -huh. I'd probably put Ayuk. 11th or 12th. I know Trent McDuffie's in the conversation as well. Um, but yeah, very good top 10 list. Very good. Who did um, you have that I didn't? I had, did you put, you didn't put Creed Humphrey. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I left off, I would put, I, I would probably put Ayuk. All our lists always have like one difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, I put a lot of stock in offensive line, so I'm probably just a little biased. Like, I think you don't win shit without centers and left tackles. And maybe the Bears have just been so bad at left tackle and center for the last, you know, half decade or so that when I see like a real good one, I overvalue them a little bit. I'm like, uh, 
I'm like, oh, look at Creed Humphrey. He's awesome. I wish he was the Bears center. Like, you know, it's probably just one of those types of deals. But all right, Frank, it's that portion of the show. We are approaching the two-hour mark. What do you think is going to happen in Super Bowl LVIII? I think that in Super Bowl 58, the Kansas City Chiefs will win by a score of 27 to 23. A tight game, but the Chiefs get it done when the clock strikes zero. I really want the 49ers to win because, uh, like, a win here will never make me doubt this team ever again, I don't think. I, I'm not really doubting them now. I'm doubting them in this situation. Like, I had, a, I had a feeling they'd make it to the Super Bowl and beat the Lions. But, like, if you could beat Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, this is big. This is big. So, go 49ers. I hope you guys win. But I think the Chiefs pull it out and secure Mahomes' his third ever Super Bowl before he even turns the age of 29. Wow. Very interesting, Frank. Very interesting. All right, my turn, I guess. Make hot take central. Um, I hope everybody brings enough snacks and maybe bring your Nintendo Switch to your Super Bowl party because I think you're going to need a little more entertainment. Usher should really help you. Usher will be great for you because I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl 38-17. to 17. I don't wow. even think it's going to be close. I think Patrick Mahomes... And the Kansas City Chiefs are going to bury the San Francisco 49ers. And they'll get a junk touchdown at the end, make it 17, you know. But, like, in reality, it'll be, like, a 40 to 10 type of football game. But, like, the final score will never get that out of hand. But, like, it'll be that type of game. You know how the Bears lost to the Packers in the last week of the season, 19 to 10? Mm -hmm. But it felt like it was 50 to 3. That's what's going to happen in this Super Bowl. It's going to feel like it's 50 to 3. But... 37 to what did I say? 38 to 17, 38 yep. to 17 Patrick Mahomes. They'll win. Uh, even if they don't win the toss, they'll, they'll score. Kansas city's defense will do its job. Brock Purdy. Good story. Good season. He proved me wrong against the Dallas Cowboys. He proved me wrong against the green Bay Packers. Will he prove me wrong against the Kansas city chiefs? I'm not against him proving me wrong. I like Brock Purdy. You know, I, I don't have a problem with the 49ers. They're 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 a great program. If the Bears could ever become the 49ers, oh my God, I don't even know what I would do. You know, Kyle, I think Kyle Shanahan is one of the best coaches in the league. I would rank him two. I wholeheartedly believe that. And even if they get blown out 38 to 17, I'm saying the same thing because I I just don't think you get over the Chiefs without a super elite quarterback. And that could be the difference between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Tom Brady got beat by Nick Foles. He got beat by Eli Manning twice. I'm a fanboy. I love Tom Brady more than I love myself, but I'm honest. I haven't seen that with Patrick Mahomes. He's only lost a playoff game to Tom Brady twice and Joe Burrow once. And I think Joe Burrow is firmly the second best quarterback in the NFL. People are going to forget that because he was hurt for most of this year. They're going to talk about Allen. They're going to talk about Lamar. And then when the Bengals are 5-0 and to start next year, people are going to go, oh, yeah, that's what happens when Burrow's healthy. Um, but, you know. He wasn't this year, so it's the Chiefs again. Um, I I wish I was saying something different, but I'm not. 
38 to 17. I think Chiefs. that's what everybody thinks the Chiefs are going to win. You say that, though. You keep saying that, and they are and just the underdogs that. in Vegas. It. I understand why they're the underdogs, though. Vegas is about to make bank because people who aren't big watchers are going to be like, oh, yeah, 49ers, better record. Like, I'm going to get the team with one of the best records in the league at a slight minus? Absolutely. The Chiefs winning as underdogs would make Vegas money? I think so. Right now, this it's it's almost split even. Yeah, yeah. They're both minus, right? No, the Chiefs are plus, but right now, like, the percentage of money and stuff is almost split. So there's a ton of people pouring it in on the 49ers, which is just stupid because in a game like this, you got to take the value, and they're them being a minus in this situation, there's really no value. So a lot of, you know, guys who just bet once in a while don't even think that. Like, the, the books are smart in this situation, I think. They are. I, I'm a little nervous a lot of money starts to pour towards the 49ers on game day. And you and see that this, might happen. And you see the line start to flip. And that's why the books are smart if that happens because they're going to – if the 49ers lose, they're going to get all that money. But I don't know. But if they flip, then the that that means the Sharks think the 49ers are going to win. True, but I just I don't know. I I haven't heard one person say the 49ers are going to win. I don't know if I have either. <laughs> That's a bad <laughs> sign though. That's a bad sign that it's makes a me want to change because then it makes, makes you me think change. that the 40 Yeah, it makes you think the 40 When everybody's on one side, it usually loses. I know. It's just the way the playoffs have gone. And they just beat everybody, whether it's easily or by a narrow margin. But like, it didn't feel like the Ravens had a chance to win at any point in that game. No. And it was only, what was the final? 17 to 10? It did yeah. not feel like a 17 to 10 football game. It felt like the Chiefs were toying with them. And then I, against the Bills, credit to the Bills. Honestly, if they don't miss that field goal, though, I have. Very little doubt in my mind that Patrick Mahomes drives the Chiefs down the field and gets them in field goal range for a game winner. Maybe even scores a touchdown. We assume that would happen, but you never know. No, you never know. But, I mean, they just always find a way. He could be a game manager or he could be a elite player, like game breaker. We've seen him do both. Um, We'll see what's needed against the 49ers, but... I hope I'm wrong and it's close and it's fun. I want fourth. I want a treat. I need a treat I, in the Super Bowl. I think it could be a treat. I hope. I hope. All right, Frank. That's it. It's time. Oh, do you want to do prop bets now or in breaking we'll bets? We'll do it in breaking bets. America's favorite podcast segment of the week. Breaking bets. <laughs> Make people money for the Super Bowl now. I have so I'm gonna run through this fairly quick because I I have five props. Hell oh, yeah! One, two, four props. Hell yeah! I was I wasn't gonna do any like hockey picks or anything or like basketball, but there were two I really liked, so I'm gonna include them. But it's gonna be mostly Super Bowl picks. So I got a lot here. I don't know if you have anything you want to throw in with some prop bets. 
Um, I know you said last week you were thinking about maybe having some. I don't know if you prepared any. You probably didn't. Got that dumb look on your face. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a no, but I'm going to start off, get the non-Super Bowl picks out of the way really quick. We got the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight facing off against the New York Rangers. I'm fancying the Rangers money line here at minus 135. Bet to win two units. This will be the Lightning's first game after the All-Star break where they entered the All-Star break on a three-game win streak. The Rangers began their post-All-Star break with a nice 2-1 to overtime win against the Colorado Avalanche. Both teams have been playing great hockey recently, but the Rangers have been the more consistent team this year, so I'm going to ride with them at Madison Square Garden. My second pick, the Warriors are playing the 76ers in Philadelphia. I like the Warriors' money line at minus 115, bet to win three units. The 76ers found out that Joel Embiid will be out six to eight weeks. This 76ers team has stunk without him, and Tyrese Maxey has had the weight of the world put on his shoulders because of it. While Tyrese Maxey can carry this team to a win on any given night, as we've seen in the past, I watched it firsthand the other day. This team's now 4-11 without Embiid in the lineup, and the Warriors are never an easy ask, especially without your top player. So I like the Warriors' money line at minus 115, bet to win three units. Now we shift all of our attention to the Super Bowl. I like the Chiefs' money line at plus 105. 10-unit banger on it. Put your 10 units on it. It's still hard to believe that the Chiefs are underdogs, given how dominant in the playoff they've been. The Chiefs are trying to win back-to-back Super Bowls. These are the moments that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes strive in. Only Tom Brady and Joe Burrow have ever beaten Patrick Mahomes in the postseason. I do think that list will grow over the next five years, but I don't think Brock Purdy will be the next one added to that list. So I like the Chiefs money line plus 105, 10 units. Now we dive into the props a little bit. I'm going to start off. I I chose some props that had like the most fun, I thought. I'm going to start off with the Gatorade color poured on the winning coach. Last year, we saw purple, which is crazy. Because I'm pretty sure purple is a big underdog because it's never purple. But I'm fancying you're going to do 20.25 quarter units on each of these. And if either one hits, it's a win. You come out ahead. So I'm counting it as a win if either of these colors hit. I'm fancying orange at plus 300 and blue at plus 350. Purple such a weird color. I doubt we'll see it again. I mean, you could use the excuse like it's a superstition. They want to keep it the same. But in 2020, when they won, it was orange. So, I mean, last year was the first time we saw purple in forever. So, it's like, did somebody just really want purple Gatorade last year? That, like, we they had to have it? Because, like, I to me, I looked at the winning colors. I It might have happened, like, once besides last year. It's like... I feel like purple Gatorade is a is something not a lot of people just drink. I could be wrong, but for a Super Bowl, it's kind of a wild move. So I'm I'm fancying orange or blue this year. Um, plus three fifty on blue, plus three hundred on orange. I you put a quarter unit on each of them. Whatever one wins, you come out ahead. We're not trying to hear. We're here to make money, not to be greedy. So this one was interesting too. The jersey number of the first touchdown score over under. 22 and a half. I'm fancying the under 22 and a half. Bet to win one unit at minus 105. There's three players you got to worry about. There are three deadly, high, potent players. You got to worry about Kittle, Kelsey, and McCaffrey. I know that's scary. Three of the best players in the game. 
But the odds are in your favor because even though they're some of the best players in the game, you have a better chance of them not scoring and then throwing to like Debo or Pachenko running it in or even Mahomes running it in, sneaking it in. I mean, they're, the odds are you have a better chance of them not scoring first. That doesn't always happen. That's why if you take one of those three I named, Kittle, Kelsey, or McCaffrey, to score the first touchdown of the game, it's always big plus. Because it's it's not always likely to happen. They don't always go to their superstars because the defense is covering them well. So I like the odds of it hitting on the under 22.5, minus 105, bet to win one unit, on the jersey number, under 22.5. This was a one I've really never seen before, so I like to dabble with this as well. The time of the first possession in the Super Bowl. Over, under, 3 minutes and 15 seconds. I'm leaning over here. Bet to win one unit on the over three minutes and 15 seconds for the time of first possession at minus 110. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of running plays to start the Super Bowl, kind of getting a feeling of your opponent. And then at that point, you basically need one or two first downs with the running clock. There will be some passing, but I just I feel like they're going to open run heavy, especially if the 49ers get the ball first. Hand it to McCaffrey, let him do his work, get some first downs. It's going to be a run-heavy first quarter, in my opinion. So I like the over three minutes and 15 seconds for the time of the first possession. Like I said, if it's run-heavy, you really only need one first down, and you're you're probably good to go. If it's pass-heavy, well, you're you're boned. But I still think over three three minutes, 15 seconds is a good play at minus 110. Bet to win one unit. And my final pick, will there be a missed field goal in the Super Bowl VP? I'm going to say yes. There will be a missed field goal at plus 110. Bet two units on it. Jake Moody's been shaking in the playoffs this year. You also have the benefit of a team trying a really long field goal at the end of the first half to try and add on some points. It hit last year. There was a missed field goal last year at plus value, and I feel like there's value in it every year with it being plus always. So I like that there will be a missed field goal, plus 110, two units on that. Very good, Frank. Very, very good. I haven't thought of the prop bets I'm thinking about this year, like at all. But I was I looking know, at I Gatorade just now. I was looking at Gatorade just now. So Purple won last year. That was the yeah. first time it won since 2012. Exactly. It's just um rare. The Giants poured it on Tom Coughlin. Purple Gatorade. Um, we haven't had a nun in a while. I don't know. Can you even bet on none? Yeah. Um, I don't like that, though. That's no fun. It hasn't been none since the Patriots dumped none on Bill Belichick in 2017. They have since won the Super Bowl in 2019 and poured blue on Bill, so it's not a Patriots thing. Um, the last time we had orange was when the Chiefs won in 2020. Um, blue back-to-back years with the Buccaneers and the Rams in 2021 and 2022. Um, I don't know. I, I think we haven't had yellow in a while. The last time there was yellow was 2018 when the Eagles poured it on um, Doug Peterson. So I think I like yellow. I love yellow Gatorade too. Like the flavor of it? Oh, yeah, I do. I like lemon oh, lime. I like, it's I not like, lemon lime. It's like. I like blue. Well, I like them all. Except I'm not a fan of purple. Really? I would rank purple near my top. I like zero purple better than regular purple. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Very, very fair. Well, Frank, that's our Super Bowl show. We both oh, think the Chiefs. I didn't put the banner, but we're we're consistent. We've gone 
one for two every week. One out of two every week. Well, got some big ones to put up this week, Frank. Are you going to include all the props and all that? This is a big one. No, I'm going to include the props and everything. But if I hit either color, I'm counting it as a win. Otherwise, yeah, one is guaranteed loss because you're still making profit. Yeah, of course. So of course. If blue or orange hit, it's just going to be one singular win or I one singular yeah. loss. Of course. Totally understand. That would be a win in my book, too. Well, Frank, good show. I hope everybody watching enjoys the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 58 between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. We will either we will either continue a dynasty or we will see a new champ. Not new champ. They won the Super Bowl, but a newer champ, one we haven't seen in a while, win. And I'm very much looking forward to it. So very good stuff, Frank. Very good stuff. Make okay. sure you watch the rest of the shows here on the Barroom Network. we got plenty of going on, plenty of Super Bowl coverage. I will be doing another Super Bowl show on Friday at 11 a.m. when me and Joe Mando will predict some things going on in the Super Bowl as well. We'll get some of his thoughts similar to what we were saying in this show. I'm very excited to hear what he has to say about it. And I hope everybody tunes in here on the Barroom Network. And stay safe this weekend. Super Bowl Sunday is a it's a drunk fest out there on the roads. So be safe and you know enjoy football. This is it. This is the last bite of the NFL sandwich. It's the best bite of the season. It has all the proper sauces, the proper condiments. It's got a piece of every meat, a piece of every cheese, perfect bread ratio. This is the best bite of the NFL sandwich every single season. And I hope everybody enjoys. And as always. Thank you for listening.